Hello, friends, and happy new year. We are welcoming in 2024 with a banging guest for you all. But unfortunately, every podcaster's nightmare, something strange happened with the recording process. Uh, and as you'll hear, the audio on this episode is not up to our usual highest standards. It just sounds kind of echoey. It happens to the best of us and it sucks, <laughs> but the conversation was so good. We had to do our best to make it work. Just give it five minutes and your brain will get used to it. I promise you do not want to miss this conversation with the beautiful, the wise, the wonderful Dr. Steph Libs. Dr. Steph is a badass chiropractor and lactation consultant at her San Diego practice, Cafe of Life. She specializes in pregnancy and pediatric chiropractic care using what's called the Webster technique. Now, not just anyone can adjust babies and pregnant women, as you may imagine, uh, but you, you must be trained in a very unique and specific way. Earlier this year, Dr. Steph was asked to be the lead instructor teaching the Webster technique to other chiropractors all over the world. So yeah, she's a big deal. We dive into so many different topics like the origins of Cairo and why mainstream medicine rolls their eyes at it, why every body can benefit from chiropractic care, how adjusting a baby is not like adjusting an adult, how regular adjustments during pregnancy and labor can make for a smoother birth. Then we also get into some very controversial and heated topics like the baby industry overmarketing to moms and dads. Oh, and sleep training. You guys, this is a big one. You know, the cry it out method versus the co-sleeping with your baby method. Y'all, right up there with vaccines and circumcision, this is one of the most testy topics amongst parents. As Chase and I jump into the adventure of parenting, hopefully in the next year, we are continually educating ourselves. We want to have these deep discussions so that we can be aware of all the different paths and options and make truly informed decisions every step of the way. I'm not sure on much, but after this conversation, I can tell you with 100% confidence that I will be seeing Dr. Steph for regular chiropractic care during pregnancy and postpartum with my future child. That I do know. All right, enough from me. Let's get to it. Enjoy this conversation with the beautiful Dr. Steph Libs. Coming up on The Medicine Podcast. About 90 to 95% of babies who are born have some sort of either cervical or cranial strain. The birth process is the biggest transformational event of both mom and baby's lives. Yeah. And I should also say adjusting a baby is not like adjusting an adult. So it's not like a mini adjustment. It's completely different. The biomechanics of a baby's spine is completely different than an adult. I like to say it's like putting your finger on your eyeball. It's like that gentle. Wow. Um, or putting your finger on a stick of butter and waiting for it to melt. Wow. Like that's how gentle it is Amazing. because babies are so malleable, which means they're also really vulnerable to going out of alignment, sure. but they're super malleable to put back into alignment. All the primitive stuff that the body is supposed to do is controlled by those um, cranial nerves. And so if we can get that moving, it, it literally makes babies thrive. This episode of the Medicine Podcast is brought to you by none other than Mushy love latte, baby. So 
Delicious. Tastes like a cinnamon swirl. Tastes like a graham cracker if you make it cold, but it's good hot, it's good cold. It's got over a gram of mushrooms, tremella, chaga. If you don't have it in your body, you must check it out. Take a look at themedicine.com. You should see a few options for getting mushy love latte. And uh, I'm excited to welcome everybody to this episode of The Medicine. Next to me is my love, my queen, Mimi. Hello. <laughs> and next to me is our beautiful guest who I am so excited to talk to. <laughs> we met a couple months ago um, at a birth center and I just immediately was like, well, I love her and I need to, I need to <laughs> podcast. I need to interview her. <laughs> I feel the same about you. <laughs> and so we have the beautiful, the intelligent, the wise Dr. Well, Steph lives with us today. Welcome to the medicine. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. I feel the same. When I met you, I was like immediately drawn to you. I was like, give me your hands. How do I know you? I love you already. <laughs> give me your hands. Give me your hands. Oh, yeah. yeah. I almost well, we... touched you. <laughs> I think you did. Yeah. I think I did. <laughs> no, it was just instant tribe vibe. Yeah. You know, you just have that with some people and, yeah. and I get it and it's totally reciprocated and we we have a lot of the same like mutual friends dr yeah. nathan riley of course the tourmaline yeah. women um and so it was just easy right yeah. away and um not only am i just excited to talk to you because you're awesome and so fun but also you have a really um, unique skill set in the world and it's one that i don't think gets enough spotlight or attention and we are here to spotlight that, spotlight your work and, Thank um, you. you know, give that to our listeners. So we're really, really excited to, to get into it. Before we get into what it is, what is your <laughs> unique skill set? The first question that we ask every guest on the medicine is, what do you love in your life so much that you wish you could gift it to every human? Not necessarily materialistic, but just yeah. like, what about your life do you love oh. so much? Oh gosh, this is such a good question. Well, first I thought you were going to ask what's in my cup. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you asked that too. Yeah, Are you asking that next? No, yeah. we usually that's only <laughs> when we do guys. our episodes. Okay, but well, feel first, yeah, so I know. Shameless plug to our Shameless product. plug. So Mimi made me a cup of mushy love. I am obsessed. <laughs> I am so obsessed. This is the most delicious thing. And I've been listening to your podcast and I meant to order it a couple weeks ago and we went on a trip and I got distracted and it didn't. And um, I'm so obsessed with this. This is so delicious. Like uh, it's on another level. So um, I wish everybody a cup of mushroom <laughs> first. <laughs> you guys, we did not. Like, we did not pay her to say that. They did not pay me to say that. But I really am obsessed. This is so good. Um, okay, so what do I love in my life? Um, well, I would say the mushy love that I have for my kids. Mm. Like. Uh, I, it, I, this sounds very cheesy and just like typical mom stuff, but like, I, I cannot tell you the amount of like heart expanding love when you have a child is just on another level. Mm. Like I had someone a while ago was like, do you take like hallucinogenics and <laughs> go on all these trips all the time? And I'm like, no, but like the love is a trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I truly wish that for people in the world is to like, if, if that is what you want to have kids then to experience that and also experience it through an empowered process. Cause I had two very different birth experiences with my kids and you know, they were both wonderful, but one of them was significantly more empowering than the other. And that just like sinks deep into your soul and is like 
just mind altering, expanding more than any other drug can ever do. Like that's the medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the medicine mm-hmm. of life. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. It's been, uh, as we've slowly, or maybe I should say me slowly been like, uh, <laughs> interested in the birth process and what parenting is like and really mm-hmm. trying to, you know, as we socialize the idea, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> said like such an accountant. <laughs> we, I've been like the, the, the most surprising aspect of this to me, and you know, not surprising to those that we've gotten to know, like yourself, mm-hmm. is this transcendent love experience, this yeah. psychedelic experience yeah. that birth, that parenting, that this yeah. bond with the child actually includes yeah. that we just don't talk about in culture. No. We, we have turned it into this sort of like mainstream joke that parenting sucks and right. kids are pain in the ass. Right. And it will, you know, pull you, you lose apart. your life. Yeah. And you just yeah. like, you, yeah. you lose yourself and everything is about the kids right. and like can't get anything done. And yeah. like, it's and just, then this mommy culture of like, I need my coffee and then I need my wine. Right. And I need to yeah. go to Target. Yeah. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Which obviously we're going to, we're going to get into a lot yeah. of that today. Yeah. Which is a, a perfect segue into, you know, giving us a brief intro. Of course we know you, but giving our listeners a brief intro on who you are and what you do in the world and, and how you impact people's lives. Right. Well, um, yeah, so I am a chiropractor and, um, when I was in chiropractic college, I, and by the way, getting to chiropractic college is quite difficult. So becoming a chiropractor is about the same amount of training as med school. You have to go to undergrad and then you have to go to chiropractic college, which is three and a half to four years. And it's a lot of, it's basically med school with adjusting, learning how to adjust is fine. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a very rigorous process and we do lots of clinical hours and, You know, it's pretty intense. So when I was in chiropractic college, I was very inspired by this woman named Jeannie Ohm. She um, uh, really developed the Webster Technique, um, which is a pregnancy certification in chiropractic we can talk about. Um, And she ran this big organization called ICPA, the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association. They provide all the training for chiropractors to really specialize in pregnancy and pediatrics. She was a big inspiration for me. Um, she had six home births, four of them were unassisted (laughs) just with her husband and her other kids there. Um, she was just like total badass. really lived the chiropractic lifestyle, which is all about, um, honoring the innate intelligence of the body that our bodies are so brilliantly designed, like, you know, taking one sperm cell and one egg Mm -hmm. cell, putting them together and creating an entire human being. It takes a lot of intelligent design, like that intelligence doesn't leave you at birth. It doesn't leave you when you're breastfeeding, you know? So she like truly was an example of that. And so I was just very inspired by her, um, and went through all the training to become specialized in pediatrics and pregnancy. And so that's what I created in my office. And, um, my office has really exploded into this like thing that I never thought was even really possible, but I've got a big team and, um, there's five of us chiropractors in there. We specialize in families and seeing babies and it's just so much fun and super fulfilling. We also have a breastfeeding support group with a whole team of people who volunteer every single week to help moms for free. Um, there's really nothing else like it in San Diego because we've got 
this team of lactation consultants and um, a nurse and OT, speech language pathologist, all these people who are professionals and we all collaborate together to really figure out how to help these babies best. Mm -hmm. So that's really like, I, I just have a really big heart for service. Um, my practice is very, uh, I would say affordable compared to a lot of other offices. Like we do a membership kind of style that's very inclusive for the whole family. And that's really been like my thing is like, if we provide good service, we have a heart for service, like the money will come yeah. after, you know? So I know that's just always been my sort of theme for the office. So when I had my babies, I stepped out and then hired people to cover the practice for me. And then that just kind of led to this snowball of growth in the practice, mm. which is how we've gotten to where we are. So, um, so that's really what we do is just help people as much as we can. And yeah. Growing this team and this community, and yeah. it's so fun. Yeah, it, it's so fun. You definitely, um, you know, we we always talk about finding a labor of love. Yeah, and it definitely seems like that you've found that for yourself and that yeah. that icky guy, which we talk about a lot too. Which is like what the world needs, mm -hmm. what you can make a living from, yeah. what you're good at, and what you love to do. Yeah, and that's the that's the you know ideal yes. scenario for all of us. Totally. And then work doesn't feel like work; it just lights you it up. It truly doesn't. And I feel I feel like so sad for people that go to work and don't like their job. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know oh. if that's like that must really suck. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, totally. Um, well, great. Let's get into chiropractic. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you went to chiropractic college. But then it sounded like, if I'm hearing you correctly, you had to go to extra education, go through oh, yeah. extra education to learn how to yeah. adjust pregnant women yes. and babies, correct? Yes. Okay. And so maybe let's start with the chiropractic benefits mm -hmm. for the general population. Yeah. For someone who isn't, isn't necessarily pregnant or a baby. Right. Um, you know, Chase and I go in and we get adjusted, which we do regularly. Um, what kind of benefits are people seeing? Because mm -hmm. it's so strange. Sometimes, you know, I've mentioned to a few people, this doesn't come up often, but there has been a few people where I talk, you know, oh, I went and got adjusted from the chiropractor or someone in my family will say that they have an issue. And I'm like, well, have you gotten adjusted? Right. And they'll kind of like give a mini eye roll. And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. If you've ever <laughs> had the instant relief of having a chiropractic adjustment, right you know, you get it. Game changer. And so yeah. like, I don't understand that. Right. I, Why people are not yeah, on like, board with it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I guess it's two different questions here, Yeah, but maybe let's start they with the benefits and then yeah. Yeah. roll with it. So they, they do tie in together and I'll just mention briefly, there is some history with, um, back in the, I think it was the seventies, the AMA and prior to that American Medical Association was like very against chiropractic, very, very against it. And they would actually provide medical students with pamphlets and information on quackery. And that um, included chiropractic. Totally. The, ma the main yeah. one was chiropractic and yeah. like acupuncture. And, you know, they lumped it all in with like snake oil and sure. stuff like that. So uh, in the 70s, one chiropractor, one guy sued the AMA. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And they found that the AMA was being discriminatory against chiropractic. Wow. Wow. So it was like this huge landmark case that like... They were like, wow, there really is a concerted effort to minimize chiropractic. So that, even though that case like settled, there's still this lingering thing of like chiropractors are quacks, what they do is quackery because we're not mainstream medicine. 
And that's on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) So getting into the benefits of chiropractic, chiropractic really started, well, we've had bone setters for centuries. Like every indigenous culture has like some sort of, you know, I don't know the right words, but like some sort of person who was like the, you know, medicine man or the medicine Mm -hmm. woman of the town. And a lot of what they did was bone setting. And actually, I think it's Aristotle has a paper called On the Articulations. Mm. And it's all about how the spine subluxates or moves out of alignment and creates dysfunction in the body. So this stuff is not new. It's not new. It goes back forever. But as a profession, it really started in 1895. This guy named Dee Dee Palmer was um, uh, this magnetic healer in Iowa. The janitor of his building, they were somehow communicating one day. And he said he heard a pop in his neck 17 years prior, and then he went deaf. Mm. So Dee Dee thought, hmm, let's look at your neck and see what happened. Maybe unpop it and see if it restores his hearing. It did. Wow. So Harvey Lillard was his name. He got his hearing back. Um, and so Dee Dee thought he found the cure for deafness. <laughs> he was like, I found right. the cure. Let's market this to everyone. He sent notices like far and wide. I found the cure for deafness. Don't be deaf anymore. Small Don't get adjusted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I clearly found the cure. <laughs> so people just flocked to him. Um, many people did get their hearing back, but a lot didn't. But the ones that didn't found benefits of other things in their lives. Sure. So that really started him on this process of, okay, how is adjusting the spine helping these people get well from all these other things? And so... It's, it just kind of snowballed and developed into this thing where they found the spine is what houses and protects the nervous system. Your spine is out of alignment. Your nervous system cannot adapt properly. So when we adjust the spine, it helps the body heal and function and get the brain functioning like it's supposed to. So, um, you know, there, there are a few different types of deafness, um, and some of them do... Uh, some of the types of deafness, a nerve will travel down the spine and then back to the ear. So if that's the type of deafness and we restore function to the spine, that should restore hearing potentially. Um, there are lots of other types of deafness that are more local to the ear. So adjusting wouldn't necessarily help improve that directly, but that really created this whole profession. And, you know, there's a lot of history of like Didi's son BJ took over and then really developed all these schools and it became this big profession like it is today. Now, a lot of chiropractors have kind of diverted and just stick to like the pain model because like mm-hmm. you said, there for a lot of people, there is instant relief. With mm-hmm. Oh, I've had it many times. Right. And like, that's such a powerful thing mm-hmm. for a lot of people to process. So, um, and you know, like it really is about restoring the nervous system. And so over time, we get injuries, we're susceptible to toxins and environmental exposure of toxins and um, emotional stress. So all these stressors on the body can contribute to what's called the subluxation. That's the spine going out of alignment, irritating the nervous system. So we get these patterns of subluxations that can stay stored in the body. And every time we adjust, it creates a new pattern. So the mm. nervous system can heal and function and um, really get the brain firing like it is meant to, but it's for some people it takes time. So that's why some people go to the chiropractor and they're like, I went once and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's like saying you brush your teeth once and you yeah. have to have it. Like you have to do it yeah. ongoing. Um, 
And so many people in my office, they get adjusted and they're like, wow, I had no idea how good I could feel. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you want to keep coming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that you have to go like every week for the rest of your life, but like I'll go regularly for the rest of my life yeah. Yeah, because I want my brain, my nervous system to function. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I was just, just having this conversation with a family member and mm-hmm. uh, they're like, well, if I have to go and just continue to go, you know, for the rest of my life, what's the, what's the point? Right. I'm like, do you take your car in to get serviced? Right. Every six months or 12 months? Yeah. You know, same idea. We're in a, same we're in idea. This, you we're work in a out regularly. Right. You work out regularly because you know that it's good for you, your whole system mm-hmm. and every, it's, it, why is this the one of the things? Cause it's, it's not mm-hmm. just like going to the doctor. It's not right. just like going in to talk to a, you know, yeah. a family physician, right. you know, it's like, there's so much more to There's it. There's so much more. And for me, it's really a relationship with someone in my office. Like every week their body is going to change and go through new things. And sometimes people come in and I'm like, what's going on this week? Like I literally mm. put my hands on their back and I'm like, something's up. Like what's going on? And they're like, oh, my dad just died. Mm. I'm like, yeah, I can feel that in your system. Mm. I might not know exactly what it is, but I can feel something is different. And so... That's the kind of thing that it's like, it's a deeper thing than just, you know, fixing people's back pain. Like it's a lot more than that. And when people come in regularly, we can see these patterns in their life. Um, I had someone once and I was working on her and I flipped over and I put my hands on the front of her hips and kind of moved them back and forth feeling for this specific movement that I was looking for. And I literally felt a baby's hand reach out on my hand. And I was like, where are you on your cycle? And she was like, how did you know I'm pregnant? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was like, I literally felt a baby jump out and hold my hand. Wow. And so like, it's so much more than just, you know, coming in one time to pop your back. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you have any other, I'm sure you have plenty, but like, are there any other stories about, you know, people that you've had in your office that came in for one thing or just amazing transformational stories that can highlight the benefits of yes, that tactic. Totally. So, I mean, I could talk forever about this stuff, but well, I, I'll share my own story. So, um, I started getting adjusted when I was about 12. My parents would go to the chiropractor and they had back problems. So they went to the chiropractor and I was a competitive cheerleader growing up. And so I was like, doing flips and like, you know, throwing mm-hmm. my body around. I can see that. Competitive yeah. cheerleader. Can you yeah. see that? I'm a woo girl. Sense, yeah. I'm a woo girl. <laughs> totally fits. Um, so, uh, so that was like my growing up. And um, so I would see my parents go to the chiropractor and I was like, you know, I get headaches and my back hurts. Like maybe I should get adjusted. And I was 12. I was like, this kind of makes sense. And the chiropractor was like, yeah, let's get you adjusted too. So I would get adjusted just when my back hurt or when I had a headache. It always helped with those things. So that, you know, I was like, chiropractic works. This stuff's great. Um, and I remember asking the chiropractor one day, I was like, how often should I get headaches? And he was like, never. <laughs> What's healthy? I was like, oh, oh, but like everybody gets headaches. And he was like, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, so, so like should I come regularly to prevent the headaches? And he was like, yeah, sure. Like he wasn't even really like selling it. (laughs) But I remember coming to that conclusion on my own. Like, well, this makes the most logical sense. If 
you're not supposed to get headaches and chiropractic takes my headaches away, maybe I should come before I get the headache, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was just, and I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do that. So I still just went as needed, you know? Um, but I got, once I turned 18, I was, I was working at a tanning salon because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what you do when you're 18. Um, and this guy would come in and he was a chiropractor. Well, I saw on his account, he was a doctor and he was like kind of cute. And I was like, so, doctor, what are you, what kind of doctor are you? <laughs> I'm sure he made his day. Yeah. And he was like, I'm a chiropractor. I was like, I love chiropractic. And so we got chatting and um, he was like, I'm looking for help in my office. Like, what are you doing with your life? I was like, well, I'm working at a tanning salon, obviously, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm 18. Um, he's like, come in next week and interview. So I went in um, and, you know, I was like, this is a different kind of office. Like, this is a very wellness-based office, very busy, not, there's not, like, the pain posters everywhere. Right. Um, and so I got the job, and I started working for him. I started getting adjusted regularly myself, um, and my whole life changed. Mm. My whole life changed. So I grew up very, like, I thought hydrating meant drinking Sprite. Oh, right. Whoopsies. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, like, I'd go to the pediatrician, they'd be like, are you hydrating? I was like, this Sprite? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah, it does. Cool. Looking back, I'm like, what pediatrician allowed that? Right. Anyway. Yeah. So I started working for him. I was getting adjusted regularly. My whole body changed. So from the time I was a kid, I was always getting sick. I was always on antibiotics, like literally every six to 12 months or so. I'd be on another round. Um, I was taking ibuprofen all the time for headaches. And, um, so when I was getting adjusted regularly, all of that changed and a couple months went by and I was like, I haven't been sick enough for antibiotics yet. Is this related? Mm. And he was like, yeah, like, don't you see what happens with all of our patients? Like people come in and they don't need their medication anymore. Or, you know, I remember one guy came in and he was like completely contorted walking with a cane and was like walking normally after. Mm. So, you know, so that really changed my life. And, um, I was like, I, this is what I'm meant to do with my life is Mm. to be a chiropractor. So fast forward to my practice and, um, now in my office, the main thing I really work on now is babies and and breastfeeding issues. And, um, the biggest thing we see is babies who come in and moms are having a lot of trouble breastfeeding. It's painful to latch them. Um, and when we adjust them, we do really specific cranial work as well. Um, it just opens up baby's whole system and then they can breastfeed better. Mm. And I really think that that's one of the best, most foundational things that we can do for humanity is to breastfeed Mm. because breast milk is such a powerful thing for any baby. Um, and so if we can create a better foundation for that moving forward, that will create a healthier society. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Backing up for a minute, Mm -hmm. you know, you're getting adjusted regularly. You don't need antibiotics. You're not getting cold. You're you know, not having headaches. Yeah. In a minute, if you were to describe that to a kindergartner, what's going on? You yeah. Know? And in my, the way that I have to think always is like, what's an analogy or metaphor? Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Our entire body and the way that it functions is a series of communications back and forth. Right. Right. And if yeah. we are having some level of interference with the communication, let's yes. just say between our hips and our brain. Yeah. that our brain isn't properly able to equip 
or add or recover what's necessary in order for the hip mm -hmm. to function properly right. unless the communication is as clear as possible. Yep. As such, you make an adjustment. But that's bro right. <laughs> So <laughs> I would love bro to hear from you, you know, what's going on? Yeah. So, well, that's actually a really beautiful explanation. So I, I like to describe it in a few different ways. One is like every level of the spine is like a dimmer light switch. And so if you're subluxated, it's like taking that light switch and turning the dimmer down. Mm. So the light is, you know, you've got less light expressed to the body, which is actually what subluxation means. Sub, lessen, less, lux means light or location. Mm. And Asian is a condition. So it's a condition of less light being expressed in the body. So it's like taking that dimmer switch and turning the lights down. Your body can still function. There's right. still other lights <clears> on, <throat> but it's just dimmed down a little bit. And over time, we start to see dysfunction in the body. So another example would be like, um, I don't know cars, but I'll try and use cars. <laughs> 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 like if your alignment is off in your yeah. car, yeah. everything's going to wear down faster. Right. You can and still you get from point harder. A to point B. Your car still works. Yeah. But like you're going to have to change your tires faster. You yeah. know, yeah. that kind of thing. Another example would be like uh, playing a game of telephone. Right. Like if one person is not listening, that message is going to get miscommunicated down mm -hmm. the line. So same thing, but the brain is so adaptable, so adaptable. But if the nervous system is firing on all cylinders, it's going to adapt properly. So that's the thing. Like when you're self-excited, your brain literally cannot get the right messages to send back to all the organs, all the muscles of the body. They're not going to function like they should. So anytime someone's like, Oh, I needed a right hip replacement. Is your right hip older than your left? No, they're the same age. Why did one wear down faster yeah. than the other? Maybe you were out of alignment since birth. Mm. And so that's really why I specialize in pediatrics and pregnancy, because if we can start from the beginning, yeah. Yeah. how much can we prevent? How yeah. much more upstream is birth? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Which is a, a very, <laughs> just a very useful segue because I want to talk about the Webster technique. Mm -hmm. So what is the Webster technique and how can getting chiropractic adjustments make birth yeah. easier on mom and baby specifically mm -hmm. and then fan out from there wherever nice. you want. Love it. Okay. So, so the Webster technique is a specific chiropractic technique where we can analyze the spine and the pelvis um, and create more balance in the pelvis and the musculature around it to create a better uterine environment. So the uterus has lots of ligaments and, and connections to the actual pelvic bones. So if anything's out of alignment, it's going to do two things. We're going to get neurological interference to the actual uterus, and we're going to get me mechanical distortion as well. So I look at it like, um, you know, you kind of take the, like, if you use your shirt and, like, pull one side mm -hmm. or take a hot air balloon and, like, pull one anchor down, you're going to tip things one way or another. So that's going to create a mechanical distortion. So baby not, might not have enough space to move around or enough comfort, or maybe one side of mom's belly muscles are going to be just a little bit tighter than the other. And then that's going to create these abnormal movement patterns for baby to go in the optimal position, head down. Listen, COVID was crazy for all of us. But one of the silver linings of it all that no one can dispute is that more people all over the world are now taking ownership of their health and realizing that the effectiveness of the immune system 
is actually a year-round daily job. We can't rely on the government to keep us healthy. It is up to us. And there is so much that we can do to bolster immune health naturally. One of those things is Immune Intel AHCC. This is a patented cultured mushroom product that goes through a very unique and rigorous fermentation process, which makes it more bioavailable and efficacious in the body. It's truly one of a kind amongst every other mushroom product out there. Immune Intel is an immune modulator with a normalizing effect for the immune system. So it's also supportive for those with autoimmune issues. It amplifies the innate intelligence of the immune system. It's a powerful antioxidant and has even been shown in clinical research to lower inflammation and stress hormones like cortisol. Chase and I both take two to four capsules a day without fail because we want that immune intelligence year round, baby. Not only are our bodies better equipped to handle things like viruses and bacteria going around, but also things like cancer cell proliferation. Yes, I said it. I don't make claims, but there are literally hundreds of clinical studies to back me up on that. To grab some for yourself or learn more about the pile of clinical research on AHCC for cancer, Lyme, HPV, liver disease, and more, go to themedicine.com forward slash products. That's themedicine, M-E-D-I-C-I-N dot com forward slash products. And feel free to use our podcast listener discount code, medicine, M-E-D-I-C-I-N. Cheers. Um, so in California and I think most states in the U.S., um, for most OBs won't deliver a breech baby. That's mm-hmm. if a, you know we want baby to be head down. If baby's butt down or feet down, most OBs won't deliver that vaginally. It's like automatic C-section. A lot of midwives are trained in breech birth, but it's illegal in California. Yes, yeah. it's a surprise. So with the Webster technique, it used to be called the breech turning technique. Um, so this guy, Larry Webster started it back in the seventies, maybe. And, um, he adjusted some moms in labor, found that babies would always go head down. And so he found the breech turning technique. We don't love that terminology anymore because we really look at things from a more innate intelligence mechanism of like in chiropractic, we're not treating anything. We are creating alignment and balance in the body so that mm-hmm. the nervous system can heal itself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't heal you. I don't heal anybody but myself. Mm-hmm. You heal you. I just remove the interference, allowing your body to heal itself. Same thing with, you know, any sort of pregnancy stuff. I just remove interference in the body, create more balance, and then your body and your baby know what to do. So that's really what the Webster technique is all about. Um, and I adjust a lot of moms in labor. And if you think about it, it just makes so much sense. Like, if those mechanics are not working yeah. properly, yeah. how is the baby going to get through? Right. Yeah. You so know? you actually adjust women while they're giving birth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is different than, like, bringing them <laughs> into the office and laying them down on the table. It, it really is, like, I feel like I'm, like, on the front lines. Yeah. Like, just get wherever I can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you're just getting in there in between surges or yeah. during or yeah. like, this is so yeah. fascinating. Yeah, so I'll just tell moms like go in whatever position's comfortable and I'll work around you and I'm gonna feel for what's moving and what's not moving and just work from there. So I have a couple of tools that make it easier to adjust like on the go. 
Um, but yeah, I'll just, I'll do whatever I can. I had this one mom, she birthed at Tourmaline. Um, I love her. I won't say her name, but she has given me permission to share her story. I went in and adjusted her before I started my shift at the office. And, um, she was like, that's great. Like feeling more balanced. Things are picking up, moving along because her nervous system was firing better. And so that uterus can contract better, right? Move labor along. And at, once I was done with my shift, I was like, something in me was like, go back. Hmm. Like I just had this voice. that was like, go back and check her again. And so I popped my head in and I was like, can I just, can you see if she'll let me in again? I just want to check one more thing. And so I go in again and I felt her pubic bone, which is right in the front. And it was so tucked up and high. Like I'll never forget the feeling of how off it felt. And it's because the pelvis has to expand, right, with every surge through labor. And so I adjusted it again. I was a little more aggressive than the first time because I was like, I want to get this moving and get her, like, set. So I get in there, adjust, I do a couple other things, and then I left and got a call. Baby was born, like, shortly after. Wow. <laughs> and that kind of thing happens all the time. You know, I had another friend, same thing. I went in and adjusted her, and she started pushing, like, when I left. Mm. So because it really fires things off, like your yeah. nervous system is now firing better. Yeah. yeah. And so we know there are these little neurons inside the spine that when we stimulate them through an adjustment, it, it fires off to the brain mm. so much faster. So even like the vagus nerve, like the, everybody talks about the vagus nerve mm -hmm. these days, the vagus nerves runs right in front of the first bone in the neck. And it travels almost everywhere in the body, including the uterus. So mm. if we can get that move, like even an adjustment in the upper neck can get the uterus wow. firing better. Amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I don't know. It takes zero like brain power for me to see why this should be, you know, almost like universal. Right. Like why is there not an attending sort of like chiropractor in the hospital? Isn't that so funny? Okay, so a quick story about that. My daughter was born, um, so she's my first. Uh, we were planning a home birth with her. It was a very long labor. I was in labor for three days at home. I was exhausted. And, like, you know, my whole world is, like, everything natural and crunchy. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, I'm going to have my baby in a field and just sneeze her out. It's going to be so easy. <laughs> Little did I know it was going to be three and a half days. So... Literally, like the 71 hour mark, I was like, I'm calling it. I'm, I'm done. I, I need the drugs at this point. Mm. So we went to the hospital and we got all the drugs. And, the, you know, the OBs were like threatening that my baby was going to die. And if we didn't do a C-section. And I was like, oh, these people are, no, you have no evidence to support that. Anyway, she was born and we go back to our recovery room. And, you know, they come in like every five minutes to do another test. And we declined a lot of things. But the audiologist came in to do her hearing test. Tested one year. She um, passed that fine. Went to the next year. And she was like, she didn't pass. I'm going to check again. Checked again. Didn't pass. She was, I'm going to check one more time. But if not, we're going to have to do further testing. Now, I was like not in my right mind because I was in, you know, birth recovery land still. But my mother-in-law was there who's also a chiropractor. And she goes, can we adjust her first? And the tech was like, it's your baby, do whatever you want. And that it was also a note like, yeah, why am I asking permission? Yeah. My, my baby. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to adjust her. I'm going to give her her first adjustment. So 
I started working on her. Her upper neck was off, so I was just holding that and then did some cranial work. She started moving her head and swallowing, and the tech was like, well, that's a good sign. Checked her again. Passed. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So she's my little Harvey Lillard. Yeah. The same guy yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But the tech was like, I, can you follow me to every room? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I would love to, but I'm kind of recovering. Right yeah. Now. yeah right. Um, but maybe next time. Yeah. But like, it was the fact that she even knew to say that, like, she was like, why don't we do this for everybody? I was like, yeah, why don't we? Right. Why not? Yeah. Cause there's no money in getting people well. Yeah. Right. Like we have this yeah. medical system that is such this huge beast of an establishment that is really hard to turn mm -hmm. around and yeah. you know, they make money on pharma and surgeries and mm -hmm. you know, it's not going to come from the top down. It's going to come from no. the inside out. Yeah. It's going to come from yeah. people creating parallel structures yeah. and then the individuals seeing the allure or the freedom yeah. within the parallel structure yeah. and making the change themselves and then looking back and saying, Hey, friends, right. family, Come like along. this is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that it, it's just not set up that way to, yeah. and, and we know this, we've had this conversation a thousand yes. times on yeah. this podcast yeah. with basically every guest. It's like the system is not set up mm -hmm. that way to assist you in staying holistically healthy right. or getting holistically healthy right. um, and, and staying that way. Like, we have a system that, you know, is, is shines so brightly in emergency medicine, yeah. surgery procedures, right. things like that. Like it's just, we, we have to stop expecting the system or the, mm -hmm. the rulers that be or, or, or uh, whoever to, to somehow give us the information to keep us healthy or get us healthy. Right. It it's has just, to start with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have to be our own advocates and do yeah. our own research and cause it's just, you know, it's not going to be handed to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see from your perspective, mom and baby chiropractic assessment and or adjustment, a critical component to childbirth or, or like an elective? I think it is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. So, and I wish that it would become more mainstream and maybe even be available in the hospital. But at the same time, I'm like, we don't ascribe to that same philosophy and that same system. It's so separate and distinct from mm -hmm. our current medical system that I don't know if it'll ever truly integrate. And I'm kind of happy with that too, because like, if you look at the history of osteopathy, it started around the same time as chiropractic and osteopathy in its true form has gotten completely diluted and you go to an osteopath and you, they do the same thing as medical doctors now. Mm -hmm. Like they've been really absorbed by the medical system. So that's kind of my tangent on that, but I do think it's absolutely critical. Unfortunately, because we are not integrated into the medical system, it is kind of a luxury for people. And mm -hmm. you know, that's not lost on me. Like I know when people come in, they're paying out of pocket. Yeah. They're coming in on their time. Like we're not part of that system. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, it's tough because I do want to make it accessible to as many people as possible, um, which I think we do a really good job in our office of making it as affordable and accessible as possible. But it certainly is a luxury, but I, I also think it's essential. Mm -hmm. What are yeah. some signs like new, new parents, we have a child, we're looking at our newborn, beautiful, mm -hmm. 
but what should we be looking for that would suggest they might need to go to chiropractor. a chiropractic yeah. assessment? So uh, there are a handful of things. Um, anytime a labor is really long or really short, I think that's like an odd, I mean, I think anybody, baby should get adjusted. And we do actually have research that shows about 90 to 95% of babies who are born have some sort of either cervical or cranial strain. Yeah, it makes sense. It I mean, you're sense. shoving, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't need to explain the anatomy, so I guess. I need, I need one just getting out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, right, I slept wrong. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So if you think about, like, the birth process is the biggest transformational event of both mom and baby's lives. Yeah. So um, certainly a long or short labor uh, to me is an automatic, like get into a chiropractor. Why short? So a short labor is, sounds great, but sometimes babies just come out so fast. They don't have the slow compression mm. of the cranial bones. So birth does a couple things. It compresses the cranial bones and they're supposed to overlap to compress down to be able to fit through the vaginal canal. If that happens too fast, we don't get that slow compression and then that expansion mm. when they come out. Same thing with the lungs. So the lungs are supposed to be compressed down. It pushes all the fluid out of the lungs. You know how they like suction mm -hmm. babies when they come out? You don't always have to do that. Um, if it's a nice slow compression, it pushes all that fluid out and then they come out and the, those lungs expand on their own. So if, a, if there's a really fast labor, very often we kind of miss that like slow integration for the body. Um, so I have a lot of babies that come out so fast and I'm like, whoa, their cranial system is just like still so compressed or, you know, like something's funky in the body. Mm, okay. So that's why a fast one will be, um, to me, like for sure go in. I always tell mom any latch issues, like if breastfeeding is painful, it should not be painful. Might be a little bit uncomfortable at first cause it's new. Um, but that's a really good indication that baby should get checked right away mm -hmm. because there's usually so the neurology from the upper neck controls all the muscles of the tongue and the mouth with the face everything's controlled through this neurological system and breastfeeding is a very reflexive neurological brain-based thing in those first couple of weeks so if we can get all those nerves firing on all cylinders then breastfeeding should be easier. And then the mechanics of the mouth too. So like the roof of the mouth is like a quad of bones. And so they can overlap and compress and like get all misshapen, especially if it's a really fast or really long birth. And so if we can ease that, that'll create more room for the tongue mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. I've seen some of your, your videos that you have on your Instagram where you have like a little finger condom yes. on and you're, <laughs> we you call know, finger caught. <laughs> And you're, you're, you know, there's a little, beautiful little baby laying down with mom right there, I assume. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're checking something inside the mouth. Yeah. And I've heard you speak about the palate and, and adjusting yes. the palate. Yeah. And even as a, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a registered dental hygienist. Yes. And so like. I forgot about that. And I didn't <coughs> even know that mm -hmm. you could reform yeah. or re adjust the palate. Yeah to achieve a better latch and, mm -hmm. you know, more success with breastfeeding. I thought a right. shallow palate was a shallow palate. Right. And if you got, you know, a high palate, also not great, right. but somewhere in the middle is what we want. And I thought maybe it was yeah. just like a genetic thing. Yeah. So that's so fun. I forgot that you were a hygienist. That's right. Um, 
So yeah, the palate doesn't actually fuse until around age 10. So there's a lot of opportunity for movement in there. And to me, the palate is one of the most um, powerful things to adjust on a baby for a couple of reasons. One, it does create more room and more function for the tongue. But the other thing that it does is the back of the palate, the, so we've got the maxilla bones in the front, which are like the upper, um, sort of upper jaw bones that extend, and then the palatine bone, which is a little bit further back. And so the palatine bone has to lift up and down. Um, but then that attaches to a bone called the sphenoid. And the sphenoid is like, we call these your temples. These mm-hmm. aren't actually your temporal bone. It's actually back here. But we call these your temples. That's actually your sphenoid. And the sphenoid is very deep. Like if I were to draw a three-dimensional model, it's like deep here, here, here. Like it's very deep there. So if you get the palate moving, it actually helps to get the sphenoid moving. And the sphenoid is like the keystone of the entire cranium. Mm-hmm. Nine of the 12 cranial bones run through the sphenoid. The other three are just adjacent to it. And so those cranial nerves are what control just about everything in the body. Like yeah. all the primitive stuff that the, the body is supposed to do is controlled by those um, cranial nerves. And so if we can get that moving, it, it literally makes babies thrive. Mm. So, and, and while babies are actively breastfeeding in the first couple you know months or years of their life, um, is when we can get the most movement there. Okay. Wow. So I realize when I say that, like I sound like an idiot. Of course, I know you can do it with orth- with orthodontics, right? right? right. There's a, an RP, yeah. a rapid palate expander. Yes. Where you know you're expanding the palate, but that's where. I'm gonna save my orthodontics. <laughs> right. And, right. And like, I mean, Honestly. There, like seriously. Even from you know from a aesthetics cosmetic side, like yeah. people yeah. are obsessed with reshaping the way that their jaw and the way right. that their face is actually mm-hmm. shaped. Right. And so much of it comes back to even just like the placement of the tongue in the mouth. Yes. And so if there are these yes. modalities for right. holistically, naturally, functionally adjusting something really early on that right. doesn't not, not only supports you in just a, a, an overall like vibrant life yeah. and, and, you know, health profile, but like if there's an aesthetic, right? Well, no, it's true. It's actually to look at too. like it's not just like a, a superficial, mm-hmm. egotistical thing. Yeah, we as humans, when someone has a wider jaw, a wider mm-hmm. palate, and a, a large, um, a significant buccal corridor, they call it like a big smile where yeah. you can see the teeth back there. Yeah, when you have a wide set jaw and a good jawline, that is communicating health, right? right. Symmetry and health. Right. To the opposite sex, yes. which then is it, there's a reason why, yeah. you know, uh, someone with an a, uh, an asymmetrical versus someone with a symmetrical and like very wide set jaw and yeah. like everything is set. Like there's a reason why they look more attractive. It's because they right. actually look healthier to exactly. us. Exactly. Yes. It, it's because yeah, they they are. Isn't that a thing with the blue zones too? Don't the blue? Oh, I right. think that's the thing with the blue zones. The people who live to 100, they have these like very strong jaw lines and very straight teeth and like they don't have orthodontia. Yeah. So yeah. it's so interesting, but that is something I'm curious about. Like I, so I've been in practice for um, almost 12 years now and I'm curious to see like how many of the babies that we see now are not going to need palate expanders yeah. mm-hmm. or orthodontia later on. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot will, but my goal is like, they get better and better and better at yeah. this work and can prevent some of that. Well, I mean, the huge <laughs> thing right now is is mouth breathing 
and you know it, there's yes. mouth tape at night right there's a ton of uh yeah. you know conversation around even you know through exercise nasal yeah. breathing and avoiding mouth breathing right. and there's a host it's everything so from much. immunity to yes. the way that you look yeah to your you know how much you're sitting in fight or flight right um and so to think that there's maybe even something that's extremely upstream that doesn't yeah. require some sort of you know, heavily invasive intervention like right. a, like a plastic surgery or some mm-hmm. level of you know intense orthodontics. Right. Jesus, how are we not looking at this? I know, and to me, it's so crazy that it's not like a main thing. You know, because it's so gentle, it's so effective for babies. And and I should also say, adjusting a baby is not like adjusting an adult. So it's not like a mini adjustment. It's completely different. The biomechanics of a baby's spine are completely different than an adult. I like to say it's like putting your finger on your eyeball. It's like that gentle. Wow. Um, or putting your finger on a stick of butter and waiting for it to melt. Wow. Like that's how gentle it is Amazing. because babies are so malleable, which means they're also really vulnerable to going out of alignment, sure. but they're super malleable to put back into alignment. So like if we can start this from the beginning, how mm-hmm. much of a difference would that make? Yeah, I mean, cool. I had orthodontia growing up. I had four teeth taken out before braces. Like I just think back and I'm like, man, mm-hmm. what if all this stuff got corrected when I was baby, maybe I wouldn't have needed all those antibiotics my whole life because yeah. my immune system would have been better yeah. because my nervous system would have been right. better, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, you you combine regular chiropractic adjustments for a baby uh, and child and the, um, the absence of all of the bullshit in most mm-hmm. of the vaccines. Yeah. Like those two things just on their own. <laughs> yeah. Not even looking at any other lifestyle factors. Right. Organic eating right. and movement and mindset yeah. and all of that. Just those two things makes, you know, um, I think could, does and it is making a world of difference for yeah. a lot of, a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, I really want you to elaborate on baby containers. Yes. And, um, you know, we're talking about adjusting babies and things like that. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously critical in your words. There's also things that we can do at home for our babies that also contribute to proper development over time. And and I don't know if this is just as important because it's happening all the time, you know? Um, but if you could talk about baby containers, even like what that means and the connection to neural development. Yeah, totally. So, and I'm probably going to tie in a little bit of what you said earlier too, with the toxicity factor. So, so containers would mean like anything that a baby goes into a car seat, um, those bumbo seats or those bouncers or swings or bassinets or cribs. So anything that like, to me, a container is anything that holds a baby. That's not a human. So, and and we talk about like overmarketing to moms, like so many of these things are overmarketed oh to moms mm-hmm. for convenience. Yeah. Right? Like, don't, and they don't are. hold your baby. They are very convenient. They are very convenient. And yeah. a lot of, like, the snoo, do you, have you heard of the snoo? No. no. It is this bassinet <laughs> crib thing that um, swaddles the baby and then, like, vibrates them. Mm, wow. Wow. Very fancy. <laughs> very fancy. They're, like, $1,700. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. And it's, it's trying to replace a human, yeah. but it's like, what that Damn. baby actually needs is a human, a heartbeat, <laughs> a heartbeat. Yeah, this is like the sex doll for babies. That's hilarious. It <laughs> totally is. is. It's a it totally blow up doll yeah. for a baby. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm going to use that. Yeah, I'm so going to use that. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. So, all of these containers are are really replacing what a human is supposed to do. So, when you hold a baby, their breathing, their nervous system, their heart rate, everything is co-regulated with you. And it's also by design. So, I'm going to go on a couple little tangents here, but they all kind of relate together. For instance, co-sleeping with your baby, your exhale of CO2 triggers them to breathe. Mm. That's protective against SIDS, oh. which is sudden infant death syndrome. It's a whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> Babies don't just die from yeah. sleeping. Yeah, that sounds it's like a thing. bullshit right? syndrome. X, Definitely. Y, yeah. Like, we don't know what it is syndrome. That's what yeah. that is. <laughs> or we refuse to look at it. Or we refuse to acknowledge what it is, right? Yeah, right. So, um, and then we, we like think of all that stuff and like the toxic load that babies go through from the start, you know, like, yeah. like is mom put on medication when she's pregnant? Is she, you know, vaccinated for COVID and the flu and Tdap, which they push on pregnant moms all the time. So now baby's getting exposed to that. And then as soon as baby comes up, like I love that they tell moms, don't eat raw fish, don't eat soft cheese, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do this. But as soon as your baby comes out, we're going to vaccinate them right. with all these toxic ingredients that you would you would be put in jail for if you let your baby drink. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, and this is a whole nother conversation, but, you know, Hep B is one of the day, yeah. one, day one vaccines yeah. where hepatitis B is there. There is actually zero risk if right. the mother doesn't have Hep right. B, which is like point zero one percent or point one percent of yeah. Mothers actually have Hep B, and, and they've already probably been screened for that. Already screened. So yeah. there's actually zero benefit yeah. for a baby for a baby to receive that, and there's only yeah. risk associated. Exactly. Because exactly. I was actually just listening to um, Doctor Paul Thomas. Love him. He was on Nathan's podcast, yeah, and I listened cool. to that this morning. And he was talking about Hep B yeah. uh, specifically, and he was yeah. saying it's 250 micrograms of aluminum just yeah. directly mainlined into the baby right. where 50 micrograms is the upper limit for an adult. For an adult. So why are we, why, why are we acceptable? giving five times the amount to a newborn when right. there is actually, if that mother doesn't have hepatitis B, right. there's zero benefit. Yeah. Statistically zero benefit. Yeah. What the fuck? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Anyways, again, and that's so, another conversation. Right. But it is but it, tied but it all ties in. So, like, to me, so much of what we're marketed to, whether it's vaccines or containers or, like, sleep coaches or whatever it is, is for convenience for the mom. Because we kind of live in this society that's like, you should breastfeed but not in public. Like, your baby should be contained away. And, like, it, do you have a good baby? Because it, it, I guess, I guess a baby that doesn't cry is a good baby. But then we like train them to sleep and just be quiet. We're not actually training them to sleep. We're training them to be quiet mm. and not express emotion and connection and what mm. they actually need. So like it all goes in together because very often I, I get this like clinical picture all the time. A new family comes in with their baby. They come in because their baby's really colicky or like having trouble latching or something like that. Mom maybe had, a, and this is no judgment because like I had a medicated birth too. Mom maybe had a medicated birth. Baby got all their shots. They're trying to feed on a schedule rather than on baby's cues. They're swaddling the baby and trying to make the baby sleep on their own. How can a baby thrive in that environment? That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That is literally telling the brain, first of all, try and operate with all this toxic load. 
and then try and operate on a schedule that your body doesn't know how to be on a schedule because you were in mom's womb for 40 weeks-ish, and that was your complete safe space. You were fed on demand. You were rocked to sleep all the time. You were connected to mom all the time. You heard her heartbeat. You heard her voice 24-7. And now you're out, and you're expected to do this on your own mm-hmm. and just, like, on a schedule. That makes no sense. No sense. So, like, it's hard because there's so much, like, shame and judgment with moms, mm-hmm. and, you know, if they're, like, not doing it right. Yeah. And, and what is right anyways. And what is right anyways, yeah. yeah. I always try and go back to the filter of, like, what creates more attachment and bonding? Because that is going to create a feeling of safety and security for your baby. And they're not meant to sleep through the night. They're not meant to go eight hours without food. Their brain is growing so fast. The cerebellum grows about 200% in the first year of life. The rest of the brain grows about 100% in the first year of life. There's so much neuronal activity that they need constant nutrients. So as humans we continue to gestate outside the womb. So like we have a relatively short gestational period compared to other animals. Like elephants are pregnant for two years. An elephant's born, it can walk right away. Mm -hmm. So they will feed on mom, but they can walk and run with the pack right away. Humans can't do that, right? We're born, we have relatively larger brains than other mammals. So we're born earlier so that we can fit through the pelvis, right? And humans are bipedal, so we walk on two feet, not four. And so that we have two free arms to hold the baby. Like all of it is by design. It is all on purpose. And so to then think a baby's supposed to be born and like sleep over there in another room makes no sense. Mm. Right? Even a coyote would never put her cubs in another cave and say, cry yourself to sleep. That would attract predators. They would die. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. just for survival and connection, we are supposed to sleep with our babies. And so, I mean, this is anecdotal, but like I slept with both of my babies. Um, I breastfed on demand. I would feed them in bed. Like they just slept with us. We didn't have a crib. So they, they were just with us. And now they're five and seven. They both sleep through the night every night. So to say that you have to do like a cried out method or like train babies to sleep, I don't think. That's necessary. Can, can you break down those methods for me? Someone yeah. who, well, who doesn't know. Before, before, before we jump with both feet into the sleep conversation, I want to backtrack just a second to talk about the um, the baby container specifically. Like the, mm-hmm. the um, because this is something that I'm just genuinely really concerned, yes. uh, not concerned about, but well, I guess it, concerned, but curious yeah. about with the, like the bumbo, like the sitting yeah. up. Okay, great. The, then the seated ones before we mm-hmm. jump into sleep. Okay, perfect. So there's something called a bumbo seat, and it's like this round container thing, and you put the baby yeah. inside of it, and it's it like makes a them foam sit up. Seat. Yeah, it's like a hard foam thing, and it like holds their legs forward. It's kind of uh, the equivalent is like you know those Halloween pictures where people put their babies in a pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. it kind of is like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. It's convenient. Yeah. The kid, you can watch, you know, watch football, and the kids are like you know cruising yeah. around these little devices. Yeah, it's like man, this is yeah. So it seems easier and it seems convenient because you don't have to hold your baby, right? But what actually happens is I always like to tell parents, don't put your baby in a position that they're not doing on their own yet. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you're propping a baby up seated before they're sitting on their own, their joints, their muscles, their nervous system is not prepared for that. 
So, okay, so what about holding a baby up? Like, you know how, like, almost like two or three month old can actually, you know, stand and stand. hold somebody's hands? Yeah. What so, that? so that is a reflex called the step reflex. So, and it's, it's really, I'll back up a little bit. We have a ton of reflexes, which are, you know, you know, when you hit your knee and your, mm-hmm. your leg pops forward, that's a reflex. There are a ton of what we call primitive or infant reflexes that are designed for the birth process and for breastfeeding. So we have all these movements that babies are designed to do for birth. And then when they're born, they can go on mom's chest and they can literally crawl to the breast mm-hmm. almost on their own. I've seen it. It's so crazy. It is so magical. Yeah. It's so cool. And so if we get out of the way and let them do that, they are going to integrate their own reflex and then the brain will start processing and growing as it's meant to. If we interfere with those reflexes, sometimes they can get retained or kids can hold on to them. And then that can interfere with like learning behavior, socialization challenges later in life. That's a whole, a whole we actually had a too. whole podcast on that. Oh, we interviewed cool. Dr. Josh Madsen, who's a functional nice. neurologist. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And so our, if you've listened to that episode, you guys, you are fully aware of the significance of these yeah. primitive, retained primitive reflexes yeah. and how they yeah. can show up in eight, nine, 10 years old yeah. and ADHD, ADD, yeah. behavioral issues, developmental delays. Even adults. I know yeah. so many adults with a retained moral reflex, which is that startle reflex that interferes with your ability to focus and like mm. just stay present in your world. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I gotta, I'll go back and listen to that episode because this stuff is just so cool. Uh, so these reflexes yeah, yeah, yeah. are, can get retained and, you know, we're meant to, to have those for all this movement that we're supposed to do in the beginning. So if we start propping babies up and putting them in these containers and these positions before they're ready, um, it really interferes with their growth and development later on. So like we're supposed to go through these very specific progressions of movement. Um, for instance, like babies first learn to hold their head up. So then they develop that neck and head strength. And then they're going to work to getting to like a plank position and then all fours. And then they're going to crawl and then they're going to pull themselves up. So like that step reflex that babies can stand is really for the breast crawl. So that they push on the mom's uterus. That actually helps the uterus clamp back down and prevent hemorrhage, which is like Mm. such a cool design. Um, And it helps them get to the breast. So it's like this multi-purpose thing. So they hang on to that reflex and then that's going to help them later on with crawling and then eventually walking. So if we try and activate all that stuff too soon, now we're going to hang on to reflexes. So like Mm -hmm. if you put a kid in a bumbo right away, that's going to force them to sit upright before their trunk is ready for that. And then they're getting a different sort of neurological input and and a brain input. So the other thing like nobody wants their kid to get hurt or fall. Right. But like as babies are learning to sit up on their own, part of that learning process is falling. Mm-hmm. Like your vestibular system, your cerebellum has to learn how to fall and what that feels like mm-hmm. to be able to create more balance. If they never fall, they're not going to learn to really hold their trunk on their own. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of babies who were put in bumbos from the beginning. And then when they're like two, they have, Like, their balance and coordination is, like, so bad. What about parents, you know, I'll see parents, like, sitting with their baby, and they're, Mm -hmm. like, 
working with their baby to practice sitting up. Yeah. So like, and so the parent mm-hmm. is kind of propping them up, them. seeing if they can balance, and then they yeah, start to yeah. over. ripping the top of the yeah. cocoon off too early. I mean, you know? I think that there is like a fine line to it because some of it I think is good if it's age appropriate. So babies should start sitting up somewhere around like six to eight months ish. So if it's around that time, I think it's fine. If and I always say like. If they're supported by a person, mm-hmm. that's so different than if they're propped in a container right. alone. Right? Yeah. You know? So um, if that parent is there, like, helping and supporting and letting them fall a little bit, mm-hmm. I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, if if a parent is, like, holding a kid's hand and making them walk at, like, eight months old, I'm like, yeah. don't do that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. It's too soon. Yeah. Right? Like, they're not ready for that. They need to progress through these other steps. First, it's always a concern to me when someone's like, my kid walked at nine months or 10 months. I'm like, that is way too early. They need to crawl as long as possible. And the crawling, that cross crawl movement stimulates both sides of the brain and creates way more neurological connections on both sides of the brain. Which helps them with learning behavior and socialization. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of coordination on. of the it's limbs. A lot You're of coordination. coordinating all the limbs at once rather yes. than just the two feet. Yes. And the way that fires up to the brain is it fires the cerebellum. That fires forward to the frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe is where we get all of our executive function, decision-making, critical thinking, stuff like that. And so if babies don't have that prolonged crawling phase, that really affects how their brains develop. Yeah. We also have the, a structure called the corpus callosum, which which connects both hemispheres of the brain. And so when you do cross-body things, it fires both sides of the brain. Mm-hmm. So now we get a more fully integrated brain on this kid that's growing. And, like, you know, if a kid is, like, super athletic but, like, not great at school, like, maybe we need to get yeah. that brain fire. Yeah, yeah. Kid, interesting. Right? Or if yeah. a kid is, like, super into, like, science but, like, can't draw a stick figure to save your life. That's a concern, you know? Do you want whiter teeth? Well, who doesn't? As a registered dental hygienist, I'm here to share a little secret with you. If you want whiter teeth, you need to keep them very clean and optimally mineralized. When teeth are mineralized properly, they can better resist stain and decay that causes your smile to yellow over time. This is why we use Living Libations toothpaste exclusively. For example, their triple mint enamelizer toothpaste includes an ingredient called nanohydroxyapatite, which is bioidentical to the primary mineral that makes up your own teeth. So every time you brush, you are bathing your teeth in a mineral they already recognize. And your teeth are harder, stronger, and more resistant to decay and staining. Living Libations uses no harmful dyes, sweeteners, irritants, or other garbage that most toothpastes have. Honestly, most is garbage. Only the highest quality herbs, minerals, and other naturally occurring ingredients. If you go to themedicine.com and navigate to our medicine cabinet, it's there that I break down every Living Libations product that I use and provide a hefty discount for you. Or you can just check the show notes below for the direct link. Living Libations doesn't use discount codes anymore, so you've got to use this link if you want the discount. Enjoy stronger, healthier, whiter teeth. 
So, okay, so we want to maybe limit baby containers um, when we can. Yeah. Uh, what's the alternative? Because obviously yeah. they're, you know, moms can't hold their baby 24-7. So For what sure. do you recommend? Yeah, so, well, one of the best things I think is baby wearing. So getting some sort of wrap or structured carrier. There are so many good ones out there. Um, so putting them in a carrier is, I think, one of the best things to do because then they're going to be with you. And moms are like, we're so much more able to function with baby on. Like you, you can do everything, mm-hmm. right? So maybe take a shower. Yeah. There are waterproof ones though, if you really <laughs> want to do that. Um, so baby wearing is one of the best things. Again, baby's going to co-regulate. They're, you're going to be able to feed baby on demand because you're close to them. And like every indigenous culture does that. Mm-hmm. They have wraps, they wrap their baby, they wrap their belly, and then they use the same wrap to wrap their baby once baby's born. So like that's a very, um, one of the best things I think you can do. And then, you know, if you need to go take a shower, put baby on their tummy on the floor. On a soft blanket on or something? On a soft blanket. Yeah. Make sure the space is safe and contained or, you know, put them on the floor of the bathroom with you or whatever it is. Um, we did have a pack and play in our last place. And so I would put baby, like, on their tummy in the pack and play while I went and took a shower. So, um, because that at least allows for free movement, but mm-hmm. it's safe and contained if you need it. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think, like, we we think that we need all these things, mm-hmm. but we really don't. Well, this is great for us to hear because, I, you know, we're, as Chase says, socializing the uh, <laughs> topic. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, we're, ta- we're having more conversations about yeah. starting a family and kid and everything, and it's in our new, near future. And so, but as you see, you are here in our, in our home, and we live in a condo, and yeah. we don't have five bedrooms to right. hold all of the stuff yeah. Yeah. that is yeah. marketed to moms for, for baby stuff. And yeah. one of the best pieces of advice that I got from my sisters, I have three sisters ahead of me that have all had babies. And mm-hmm. so I'm learning so much from them, yeah. um, what to do, what not to do, what works, what doesn't work and what yeah. you kind of have to figure out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the pieces of advice was like, only get the absolute bare necessities. Yeah. And then from there, Amazon is two day shipping or yeah. sometimes same day shipping. So if you, you know, don't purchase something until you get into it and you're like, Oh, I actually need this thing. Now mm-hmm. I'm realizing that I need this thing because I, you, you probably hear this yeah. all the time from moms where your registry, you just explode. Oh like gosh, the baby so stuff is just like vomited in yes. your house and it's everywhere. Everywhere. And I, I wonder, you yeah. know, I go over to people's houses and I'm like, how much of this stuff is just accessory or yeah. used once? Right. And, and so it's never like, need it again. Yeah. Well, so same thing. Like when we had our, both of our babies, actually, we lived in a really tiny beach house, like 800 square feet, the four of us and a dog. Like we had no no wow. rules or anything, right? But like the beach was our biker. Yeah, it's like, like a true San Diego. It's a, it's a yeah, San Diego. Yeah. It's a trade-off. True San Diego. So it was kind of a blessing because I was like, I don't have room for all this shit anyway. Like I, yeah. we we cannot put a crib in here. There's there, it'll be in the living room if we have a crib. Right. Um, so we avoided a ton of that stuff. Um, but it's just so funny. Like you know, there's like wipe warmer machines, like. Yeah. You can hold it in your hand for 30 <laughs> seconds and it'll warm up. Why do you need to warm the wipe? Like, yeah. I don't get it. You know, and there's like drying racks for all the bottle pieces, like for pumping. I'm like, do you just, you put it on the rack yeah. on okay. the counter? Like, I don't get it. Why do we need all this extra stuff? And so I think it's so funny. Like when, like, cause chiropractic, I think is a bit of a luxury, but I'm like, 
I see all this shit mm-hmm. that people are buying. Right. Don't get all that stuff and put on your registry a lactation consultant, yeah. a chiropractor, Seriously. a massage. Like, Definitely. put that stuff on Honestly. there. Breastfeeding clothing. Like, you know, uh, put the stuff you actually meal need. support. A meal for service. Postpartum. Yeah. That's yeah. so yeah. true. I, I'm yeah. I'm 100% in that camp with yeah. you, and I'm so glad that Chase is as well, and like that we get to talk to people like you together because um, I think we just get sold to over and yes. over and over. And this, this is not just in the birth and pregnancy space. Yeah, it, this is everything. everything. No, I mean I've been in I've been in conversations on the mm-hmm. in the business world where literally you bring a product to market, and then the next conversation in the product pipeline is. How do we make this for kids? How do we make this How for moms? Funny. Yeah. Because there's such yeah. high conversion rate for anything that yeah. says baby or mom right. next to it. Right. And it's just like, yeah. hey, if there's a way to, which mm-hmm. they really don't do anything, you know, heads up everybody out there. If you're making a kid's product <laughs> uh, as, as a second or third product off of an original that's meant for adults, it's usually just like a shrinkage in the serving size <laughs> yeah. or maybe a it's a different label or a different color. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's not a whole lot going on uh, intentionally so behind the scenes just as a heads that up. That is so funny. Well, it's like there, there's this thing called the Dakotot, which yeah. is like this pillow cushion thing that the baby can sleep in. And they're like $200. It's a fucking dog bed. <laughs> yeah. I can go to Petco and get the yeah. same thing for $20. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> My sister talks about a docatot all the time, and yeah, they're uh, great. But it's a dog bed. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's literally just like a tiny bed with a little foam yeah. on the outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying people go buy a dog bed and put your kid in it, but yeah. like, but also you could buy a dog bed and put, put, your, put your kid in it. I'm learning so much. God, this is awesome. Um, okay, so now I think we're ready to jump with both feet into the the sleep conversation. Okay. Um, which this is, this is perfect because we, we touched on it a little bit, Mm -hmm. but the over marketing too, you know, that we're talking about, you had a, um, a post recently. Um, I think it was back from September and you said it was like a little carousel. It was just Mm -hmm. two slides. And the first one was what people think you need to support infant sleep. And you Mm -hmm. listed white noise machine, swaddles, docatot, baby swing, a rocking bassinet, pacifiers, and sleep training. And then you slide it over and it says what you really need to support infant sleep is yourself and your boobs. Yep. <laughs> okay. Please, um, please elaborate okay. on that. Okay. So we'll all first start by saying sleep is, I think, one of the most, one of the most controversial things it in is. parenting. It is. Especially. And um, like, it, it's like up there with vaccines. Yeah, like vaccines, people get super heated about vaccines, but I think they get, I think they get even more heated about sleep. Wow, it is. I have, yeah. I have Damn. absolutely experienced this, and and um, you know, we were talking before we pushed the cord about this, but I, I have two sisters who mm-hmm. are in the sleep training baby wise camp, yeah, and they will go to their grave talking about how wonderful baby wise is. And my sister even gifts the baby wise book to every pregnant mother that she knows. And they are, you know, more than ready to teach me all of their ways, which it, it, and then I know, you know, people like you and other people that we've um, interviewed where, you know, you're talking Mm -hmm. about the, the fight or flight response. You're talking about how you're not actually training them to sleep. You're just training them on how to not cry for you And honestly, like I listened to both sides of the yeah. argument and every, 
and in that moment when I'm listening to that person, I'm like, yeah, I'm sold. It makes sense. Like it, it yeah. sounds like a good argument. Right. And so as we're talking about this, if you could please maybe steel man the conversation okay. around um, <laughs> sleep training. Yeah. And then we can look at like, what are the alternatives that maybe you more yeah. align with? Okay. So sleep can definitely be super controversial and like, I am an advocate for mom's mental health and I do think that comes first. And I think we get a lot of breastfeeding and sleep stuff and we're like, it's so hard on your mental health. You don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I kind of feel like that's a little bit of a crutch, like side tangent. If we actually supported moms in this country, like maybe things would be easier you know, like if we actually gave moms paid maternity leave and allowed them to stay home with their babies, I feel like I'm an anti-feminist feminist. So <laughs> I get that. Yeah, I get I'll that. start there a little bit. Like, which is funny because my husband is home with the kids and I'm the one who works, but like, I really think that moms should be home with babies and, and I think we'd have like better family units and better health because moms would probably breastfeed longer if they were home with their babies. Um, another side note, we, we have formula CEOs of like formula companies who say that they want lower unemployment because that means moms go back to work and that's more sales for them Mm. because it's really hard to breastfeed and to sleep or be sleep deprived and have to go back to work. So like that all kind of ties into it because you know, it, it is insane to me. I mean, California has a better maternity leave policy than most states. But still, we're sending moms back to work at 12, 16 weeks. Some states, it's like two weeks and moms mm-hmm. are going back to work. Right. Like, of course they want to sleep train their babies yeah. because they have to wake up and work in the morning and function just like every other employee in the company. Mm-hmm. But they have an entire human to keep alive. So part of me is like, I get why people sleep train. And, you know, it's hard to be a mom. It is just hard. And so the lack of sleep certainly adds to it. I will say when we have a baby, our brains literally change to sleep lighter so that we can tend to our babies. So even if baby's sleeping through the night, that doesn't mean mom will sleep through the night either. Mom can probably get there and like train herself to sleep through the night also, but we are designed to sleep lighter, to wake to our baby rousing or, you know, wanting to latch or whatever it is. So I think that's a a really key um, thing that's, again, by design that a lot of people don't know is like your brain is meant to sleep lighter. That is by design. That is on purpose. So that's a key factor a lot of people don't know. Um, And then, you know, babies do the same thing. Again, their brain grows so rapidly in that first year. They need constant nutrients. They need to feed through the night. They need that. And so it gets a little scary sometimes because... One of the biggest things, one of the biggest indicators of baby's health is their weight gain, right? So some moms can feed through the day and their babies can sleep through the night and they can still gain weight fine. But a lot of babies cannot do that. If we make them sleep through the night, a lot of babies will lose weight or not gain enough weight. And then all of a sudden, pediatrician's like, you have to put them on formula because they're not gaining enough weight. That's going to reduce mom's supply. And if she goes more than four, eight hours or so, four to six hours, and doesn't pump or feed the baby, it's telling your brain to make less milk because you don't need it. 
So again, her supply is going to drop. So it's this whole thing that like, all of this is by design. Like it is by design that we are meant to sleep lighter. Babies are meant to sleep lighter. We're supposed to feed them through the night. This is for their brain development and their growth. Like that is all supposed to happen in this very specific sequence. The trouble is when we try and fit that into our modern society, you know, and like moms are supposed to stay home. We're supposed to live in tribes. We're supposed to have our aunties and our cousins and our sisters helping out. Like that's how we're supposed to live, but we don't, Mm -hmm. you know, we live isolated with our own little family unit and that's just what it is. So, um, it's certainly hard to get the support that you need, but, and that's why like, there's so many factors with sleep. So I never want to judge a mom if she does decide to sleep train because I get it. Like I'm a working mom. I went back to work at three months with my babies and, um, and we bottle fit, like I would pump at work and my husband would bottle feed them while I was gone. But then I continued to nurse through the night, you know, for quite a while with them. I'm such an advocate for breastfeeding because they, again, it's one of the thing, healthiest things we can do. Breastfeeding can save a lot of lives and, and right. not only for babies, but for moms. Like it prevents lots of cases of cancer for breast cancer, wow. uterine cancer for moms. It's super beneficial on lots of levels. Um, also leads to higher high school attendance and higher IQ. Really? Like, isn't that funny? Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> so it's, it actually has like a really big economic effect on this, mm-hmm. on society also. Yeah. So there are lots of factors, but we got pregnant, um, with my second, when my daughter was about 15 months old, I really wanted to continue breastfeeding her because I really wanted to make it to age two because immune factors change with breast milk after age one. And it's really about the immune system after, after age one. Um, so I really wanted to make it to age two because I wanted to mm. get to two years, uh, which I will say most mammals, if we age adapt for other animals, breastfeed their infants till about age four to seven. Okay. Mm. So that's pretty standard. So even the WHO says that babies should be breastfeed, breastfed for at least two years and beyond. So at least two. So I, I like to change the terminology to some people say if you breastfeed after age two, that's called extended breastfeeding. I think that should be what's normal and anything prior to that should be called early weaning. Yeah. I was going to say what's, what's normal. Say you've, you choose breastfeeding and you're not using formula. Yeah. What's the average drop off? That's a really good question. And I, I forget the U.S. numbers. Um, it's about, so somewhere around 86% of moms initiate breastfeeding in this country. Um, by about six months, uh, that drops to, I think, somewhere around 56% of moms are breastfeeding. And then at a year, it drops to about 30-something. Mm. I just taught in Australia um, to a group of chiropractors and I was looking up their stats and they're even worse there. Mm. So there, that 12 month mark drops to like something like 6% of moms are breastfeeding at 12 months old. So that means the other 94% all weaned and are no longer breastfeeding. So, um, you know, we can do better. Mm -hmm. We can certainly do better. And again, there's just so many benefits to breastfeeding. Like the list is so Mm -hmm. extensive. Um, so I think if we can support moms more in that process, then it would help lots of, lots of things. So I got pregnant when my daughter was 15 months, I continued to breastfeed her through pregnancy, which some OBs will tell you not to do that because breastfeeding can stimulate contractions and potentially put you into labor too early. 
for most healthy pregnancies, that's not the case. You can continue to breastfeed just fine. So I breastfed through that pregnancy and then had my son. Um, he, I had him at home. It was a beautiful birth. My husband caught him and we were back in bed in minutes. It was like so magical. Um, yeah, it was such a great birth. Um, and he was breastfeeding champ and, um, no issues, no struggles with him. Like I did the first time, probably because I had a medicated birth the first time. It was really long, really difficult. And so I continued to breastfeed her and it was great because I would breastfeed her first thing in the morning. She would take care of all the engorgement because when that mm. milk first comes in, it's like, you got like porn star boobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ow, he's actually really hurt. My husband was like, cool. I was like, no, <laughs> don't touch them. Let's go. <laughs> Let's not go. <laughs> so she would take care of all the engorgement and then breastfeeding him was easier. And we continued to tandem nurse and I breastfed her for three years and then weaned her when she turned three, and then same with my son, breastfed him for three years. Um, so, and during that time, um, so when I, when I was pregnant with my son, I was, you know, still breastfeeding my daughter, and she was wanting to nurse all night long. And I was pregnant, and I was working, and I was like, I am so tired, like mm-hmm. tired <clears throat> to my soul. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired. And so I was like, I have to do something. So I tried a couple things. I tried just talking to her and asking her to sleep through the night. <laughs> that didn't work at all. <laughs> so <clears throat> I found a gentle sleep coach and I, we hired her and she, she really walked us through like natural cycles and rhythms of how the brain and sleep cycles work and at what age is appropriate for certain time cycles And so we found that if we put her to bed at a certain time, there's a little cortisol surge. And if you put them to bed during that time, it makes babies wake too often and wake too early. And so we played with this timing and found this like sweet spot. And that's when we would put her to bed. And then she started sleeping through the night because it was really working with her brain rhythm. And what age was she? She was a year and a half when we did that. So, you know, I really think for at least the first year, babies need to eat through the night. So once she was a year and a half, I was like, okay, we're at an age appropriate time. We can night wean. Um, and so she started sleeping through the night and, um, it was a very gentle process. And so it wasn't a cry it out process. So cry it out is like usually where, um, people will put their babies down sometimes in another room or the same room and let them cry until they fall asleep themselves. And usually what happens, they are crying so hard, so long that they get so exhausted, they fall asleep because no one's coming for them. And so it trains their brain that I better be quiet because nobody's coming for me, Mm -hmm. which I think is so tragic. I think it's so sad. Interesting. (laughs) You know, I mean, we have a dog and like we didn't, we tried to crate train her and it broke my heart. I was like, I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) So like maybe it's just us and you know how... Maybe I'm too much of a softie, but I think for human babies, um, they really need that initial primal feeling of safety mm. from those early days and weeks and months. Mm. And if they don't get that, I think it creates lots of issues later on. Mm-hmm. The other thing that happens is, um, a lot of people will swaddle their babies to sleep. So they'll like wrap them like a burrito mm-hmm. in those swaddle blankets. Um, couple things it's going to retain the moral reflex. So if they're not able to activate that startle reflex because they're swaddled, they're probably going to hang on to it. 
And then again, that moral re- reflex can create issues later on. This is so crazy because everyone in my family is <laughs> like, what, you don't have a swaddle? Swaddle. You, she needs yeah. swaddle. Every, everyone yeah. is like obsessed with swaddling. Everyone's obsessed with swaddling. And, and it's so interesting because like a lot of cultures do swaddle, <clears throat> but I think putting baby in a carrier on you is like swaddling, but better because they're on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and swaddling does make them feel really like cozy and compressed. Like they're back in the womb. Sounds great. But the thing with swaddles is now they can't move. It also sets up baby for a potential hip dysplasia, which is where the hips are too shallow mm. and not deep and secure because if their legs are swaddled straight, they're not going to develop these deep hip sockets that are secure. So there is a risk of hip dysplasia with swaddling also. And, you know, people are like so into swaddling, but babies want to swaddle themselves out usually. And this is another controversial thing with sleep too. I think babies should sleep on their stomachs. Mm-hmm. I think adults should sleep on their stomachs. Great. So if you, right, if you have full cervical range of motion, you should be able to sleep on your stomach and have your head rotate Mm -hmm. should be fine. What happens when you sleep on your stomach, your heart is heavier than your lungs. So your heart's going to be forward. Now your lungs can expand better because it doesn't have the weight of the heart on them. Also the back of your ribs move more than the front. So if you're on your stomach, the back of the ribs are going to expand. You're going to breathe better. You're more likely to sleep with your mouth closed. Mm-hmm. If you're on your stomach, sure. if you're on your back, how yeah. many times do we see people oh, yeah. with their yeah. mouth open? Yeah. So, um, sleeping on your stomach, I think is actually a beneficial thing. Animals in the wild sleep on their stomach or in the fetal position, because if they get attacked by a predator, their vital organs yeah. are yeah. protected. So it gets us into that like primitive lizard brain when we're sleeping on our stomach or fetal position. So, there's a reason we call it a fetal position, right? Sure. Baby should probably continue that. So, um, so I'm an advocate for stomach and side sleeping for baby. And so you're just you're just putting the baby in, just raw dog in. Raw dog in. <laughs> just open. Right. They have little jammies on, but that's it. That's it. Okay. Um, so if a baby is on their side or stomach, it is not safe to swaddle them. It is not safe because then they can't move if they get stuck in a position they can't breathe. Um, so... I really think, and then if they do startle, they're on their stomach. So they're startled and then their arms can't flail. They're going to stay asleep longer. That's so interesting. I never, you never see people laying babies down on their stomach. Except in the NICU. Oh. In the NICU, all babies are put on their stomach. Why? Because it's more protective. Who? But then they tell you not to do it. (laughs) But literally every baby in the NICU sleeps on their stomach. I can see how... The con- early, you know, early motherhood confusion on all so of much. this stuff. Mm-hmm. You get to the point where you're like, fuck it. No matter yeah. what I choose, it's not going to be right. It's not going to be right. According to someone. According to someone. And yeah. someone's going to have an opinion about what I'm doing wrong and how I'm yeah. doing it. And and yeah. I see why people just get so frustrated where they're like, just mm-hmm. don't talk to me about this. Yes. I need to figure it out yeah. for myself. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I just yeah. I see why it's so... One thing yeah. that I... I'm thinking, again, could be completely off, but, you know, I'm thinking of the way that kids are, and they're developing a relationship with food, and when to eat, and what times to Mm -hmm. eat, and the natural senses that they have for hunger, and our culture and our world, it's not just parents, it's like, you Mm -hmm. know, you're three meals a day, kids' food looks like a very, you know, fixed box of what you can and cannot eat. 
and eat at these times, eat at these amounts, and whatever you are saying or suggesting you're feeling as, as if you mm -hmm. want to consume or don't want to consume, throw that out the window. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And I can't help but wonder if that stifles the incredibly important relationship you have with your own hunger mm -hmm. cues, your own cues of needing key nutrients right. and, and micronutrients as you evolve. And we all have to relearn this shit as we become healthy adults because we've been so fucked up right. by how we <laughs> yep. eat and approach food. We have no relationship with, totally. with nutrition. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this in the realm of sleep and mm -hmm. curious if there's any sort of like argument for the over swaddling that might stifle certain intuitive nudges absolutely. that the child will have for yes. something that they need for mom and dad. Sure. Absolutely. And so that's another thing that a swaddle does is yeah, it might make babies sleep longer, but what if they're hungry Right. and then mm -hmm. they're not tapping into that cue because they're swaddled and they're yeah. like cozy asleep and then they're going to wake up starving yeah. and so hungry. And then what happens, and this happens with bottle feeding too, is if we overfeed a baby, we get these stretch receptors in the stomach that then tell us, okay, now we need this big bolus of food to feel full. Yeah. And so I think that leads to this whole, mm -hmm. like a potential path for obesity and overeating and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I think maybe if we just follow baby's cues from the start and go by their satiation, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have all the research for it, but it makes sense to me. Well, I think that's really compelling on the on the overeating uh, yeah. habit because even in adulthood they say, "Hey, if you're going to be prone to overeating, don't prolong fast." Right. Because you're going to ultimately yeah. like bypass satiation yes. hormones and eat beyond full. Yeah. And so I, I yeah. building that cuz I'm someone who just like if it's on my plate, it's going down. It's, going down. <laughs> it's just nonstop. I bypass all like fulfillment, satiation, yeah. uh, notifications that my body might be giving me. And I yeah. can't help but think Same. like, damn, did I start early? Like, I know, right? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. like, so that's kind of interesting. Like, I like to look at that kind of stuff too. Cause like I was a C-section baby. I was bottle fed. And like, I've always had a super fucked up relationship with food. Like I grew up in the, you know, 90s 2000s of like diet culture right. and like count your calories well, especially in competitive cheerleading i'm sure yeah. it was very much low fat yeah. everything, low fat everything. Like, yeah yeah so that was like you know just what we did and then i would be like an overeater and i'm like hmm i wonder if that contributed to like all my health issues growing up and now you know so i certainly like sometimes when parents have concerns about sleep and food and stuff like that, I'll ask them, like, what was, do you know your experience of your birth and how you were fed and were you swaddled? Did you sleep with your mom? Like, yeah. let's look at those kinds of things. My husband, his parents are chiropractors and he was born at home, not vaccinated, like ate healthy food. You know, he was like the weird kid that went to school with seaweed in his lunch. <laughs> probably loved it yeah like yeah. he was like that's yeah. normal right i grew up with like sprite right yeah. <laughs> and he had a way healthier childhood and i think is healthier than me now as an adult and i can't help but think that stems back to and i love my parents like my mom is the best person on the planet so i don't blame her at all but um you know you do the best with what yeah. you know what you have mm -hmm. and that's they did their best and you don't know back what you then, don't know. like everyone just formula fed. That's just what you yeah. did. So it is good. I feel like we're getting into a time where people really value breastfeeding so much more than like previous generations. 
So I do feel like the the families that come into my office now are like really dedicated to wanting to breastfeed, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the medical system sabotages that a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, and a and part of it goes into sleep. It's like swaddle your baby to sleep, put him in a bassinet, not in your bed with you, and then all of a sudden, baby's not gaining enough weight, and then mom feels like she's failing and not making enough mm-hmm. milk, and it's like, no, you've been told to detach from your baby when what you need to do is reattach mm-hmm. and be together and follow their cues. Totally. So with the, I don't know what you would call the other camp, like sleep training. Yeah. And sleep the, training. What, what do you call the other camp? Like the co-sleeping? Camp? I would say, I would say attachment parenting or co-sleeping. Okay. Cause it all kind of goes together. So with that, with the, with the attachment parenting, mm-hmm. co-sleeping at what age you know, do you yeah. kind of give them the boot? Give like, the boot. mom and dad need some alone time. <laughs> like, okay, this is something I think about a lot. Yes. And this is one of the arguments, you know, yeah. for the sleep training. Yes. Where it's like, you've already gone through a long period of mm-hmm. probably zero or very limited intimacy. Right. And having a child in your bed can obviously... Um, you know, be some level of like that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I always like to just joke with parents be like, if you're only sleeping together in your bedroom, like you are so boring. (laughs) (laughs) You have got to mix it up. Like, come on. That's great. Like there are so many other rooms in the house. (laughs) Let's get creative. (laughs) So I do like to throw that little joke out there, but, but seriously, like, you know, the bed's not the only place that Mm -hmm. it needs to go down. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, I mean, what we would do is like, we'll have her sleep in the living room for a little bit while we're in there. We'll mix it up the next night. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So I think there's there, if that's someone's only excuse, I'm like, yeah, there's so much more. I think it's one, but like, so what age is it normal? Yeah. Yeah. To, to give them the boot. I, so I think that's different for everybody. Okay. Um, and different for every kid too. So like, like we gave my daughter the boot when she was, um, she was like 20 months by the time we actually got her out of our bed. Um, and that's because I was pregnant and our house was too small. I really wanted to do one of those Alaskan King beds where it's just oh, like yeah. the whole room is yeah, a bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you have everybody in there. Um, but our house just wasn't set up for that. So, so we gave her the boot around then. Um, but then my son, uh, he was like a little boob monster and like would just, oh God, he's like the sweetest little attachment baby ever. He's just a barnacle. Um, and so I had him in the bed a, a, quite a bit longer than my daughter. And once he turned three, then we had a talk mm-hmm. and I felt like he was old enough for the talk. And I was like, oh no, no, he was four actually. He was four. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm ready to sleep on my own. You're four, so that means you're a big kid now. So you're going to sleep in your own bed. If you wake up, daddy's going to come get you. I'm not going to come in. And he was like, oh, dad, I'll just sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so then he started sleeping in his bed all night. But now both my kids want me to put them to bed every night. And so I put them in the same bed together. Mm. And now they sleep together. That's like, that's it's a, so cute. That's awesome. Yeah. I freaking love coffee, but five years ago, it did not love me. 
I noticed that after drinking it, my stomach would get acidic and upset. I'd feel on edge and I was still having regular acne breakouts. Even though it was organic, fair trade, and quote, high quality, it was still too acidic for my body and likely in the 92% of coffee that has microscopic mold on it. I thought I was gonna have to give up coffee for good. Then I discovered King Coffee and my life and health was changed forever. King is a combination of reishi spores and organic coffee. Not only is it roasty and delicious, but the reishi spores support just about every system in my body. Cardiovascular, immune, endocrine. It's also antifungal, antibacterial, and yes, even antiparasitic. Chase and I have cleansed legit parasites with King. That may be TMI for you, but y'all, this is truly the world's healthiest coffee. If you want to ditch the jitters and enjoy the other incredible health benefits, you can learn more or purchase at themedicine.com forward slash coffee. That's the M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com forward slash coffee, or just check the show notes below for the direct link. You can always reach out to me with any questions. Happy sipping. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm really curious about the mother-son attachment mm -hmm. um, because I've seen so many people in my life, friends, even people who've, who I've worked with from a coaching standpoint, mm -hmm. and they've got a very attached relationship to their mother into adulthood, and they've never had a necessary like separation from the mother, even yeah. emotionally. And it layers into every aspect of their life. It yeah. layers into their relationships. It layers into their yeah. how they show up at work. Mm -hmm. there's anytime there's challenge, there's a default to wanting to fall back into the mother's arms or whoever they've identified as the mother in their life. Yeah. And it's interesting because there, there was never necessarily this relationship between mother and son at a certain point. I'm not mm -hmm. saying these before you're old, probably more right. like a teenager Yeah. where the relationship goes, Nope, I'm a man now and I will, yeah. take responsibility for the shit mm. that's happening in my life and not resort to mommy taking care of me or coddling me or telling me that I'm okay. So that's like, like a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage right. that's mm -hmm. obviously like very absent in masculinity altogether. Yeah. But, and, and then I, 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 we see it a lot in the relationship space where you can almost predict at times the relationship between the yeah. male figure and his mother based on what's showing up in the dynamic of the relationship so where there's this almost subconscious grooming of the romantic partner to be motherly yeah. in some way. And then right. of course crushes sexual polarity mm -hmm. yes. relationship dynamics and all these other attributes. And yeah. I'm curious from your perspective, how you see specifically the, the mother son mm -hmm. relationship at a young age playing into potentially some of that. I think the yeah. rite of passage is more like, you know, somewhere between 18 and 20 something. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's anything in early childhood that, yeah. you know, mothers can either be aware of or something that you've mm -hmm. seen or witnessed in that relationship. So that's so interesting. And what, what it makes me think of is like with a daughter, once she gets her first menstrual cycle, that's kind of like her rite of passage yeah. mm -hmm. to like, okay, now you're on your way to becoming a woman. And I think that I, you know, a lot of mother daughters probably fight around that time too. Um, so I kind of feel like the boys miss out on that mm -hmm. because they don't have that same process in their life. Right. And part of me thinks that like, that should really be the dad's role to step in and be, and have those like, now you're a man yeah. talks, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, cause we know, um, 
there's all that research about like, uh, I'm probably going to fuck this up, but like the men who are in prison usually like didn't have a dad presence mm-hmm. in their yeah. life, yeah, yeah. you know? So I really think that having a strong father role is really important. And it's, again, it's funny because my husband and I have very reversed roles, like reverse traditional roles. So it's kind of weird. We have to really work on like staying in our masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that's his role to like show him how to be a man. Yeah. And I think you can still have like a good bond and attachment with, you know, a mother son, but there definitely needs to be like a separation. And for me, I think having the close bond as an infant and like a young kid, I think creates a more secure attachment going forward. Like I'm curious, all those guys who have the mother issue did they co-sleep? Did they breastfeed? Yeah. How right. bonded were they as infants? Yeah. And is mom now trying to make up for it? Interesting. Now that yeah. their son is, they're losing their son and he's becoming yeah. a man and now she's trying to yeah. grasp at keeping him. Like almost like an overcompensation for what was yeah. lost as an infant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the answer to those questions. Yeah. I will say that oftentimes the relationship dynamic of the mother and her husband or mother and mm-hmm. father is that it's a more dormant masculine mm-hmm. counterpart in the marriage yeah. Yeah. where mom mm-hmm. wears more of the masculine yeah. roles, makes decisions of the household, yeah. sets the rules. Or dad isn't even there. Right. right. Or, yeah, maybe right. dad's not even there. In the cases that I'm familiar with, it's more of like the dormant, passive, very passive yes. father. Yes. Um, and so most of the parental interaction growing mm-hmm. up was with mom, both yeah. from where do I need nurturing as well as what are the rules here in yeah. the household. And dad was more of just like kind of that Let distant dad. It. I think yeah. it's called the, the boy crisis. I want to say the name mm. of the book. Um, so freaking good. It's called, like, uh, I think it's called the boy crisis, but okay. uh, I can look it up. It's fascinating about some that of those statistics you were alluding to around yeah. presence of the father in the household. Yeah, that is fascinating. And yeah, I mean, I think so much goes back to infancy and like listening to the work of like Gabor Mate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, oh my gosh, I listened to him when he was on Joe Rogan and he was talking about, you know, how like his mom had to give him up mm-hmm. when he was like one to like survive the Holocaust. Yeah, she was like know? a refugee. And, yeah. yeah. Like what are we doing in these early, you know, early years to create this sense of security for men moving forward? So I don't know if I have the answer, but I mean, I think so much goes back Mm -hmm. to that. And I think we also live in this world of like smash the patriarchy. Women can do anything. And I'm like, I totally believe that. Yeah. I do think women can do everything, but I think it's really important that we stay in our feminine Mm-hmm. And like, I remember when I first started in practice, I was, I was getting coaching advice and like a lot of my mentors were men and I was trying to do it like that. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't working. Like it just right. didn't feel right. And then once I realized like, I need to do this my way and feel feminine in it and flow with it. That's when my practice really took mm-hmm. off because it felt more authentic and yeah. I wasn't trying to like charge it like the yeah. guys. Cause I was like, I, I, I can't do that. Like I do have a lot of masculine energy in me, but it didn't feel right Mm -hmm. trying to like push that. And so I think that's a big thing too. Like we get into these modes of like super mom, Mm -hmm. like mom does everything. Mom takes care of the kids and makes all the decisions and does everything for the house. And it shouldn't be like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it should be like that. It should be a partnership and the man should take the man role you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. And that's something that like my husband and I are constantly trying to work on 
because we do have these reverse roles. It's really hard. It is really hard. Like I get students, chiropractic students all the time. Like, how do you run a practice as a mom? How do you do this? I'm like, well, my husband stays home. So that makes it easier for me to do more of the work stuff. And we also, both of our, our moms live here in San Diego and help a lot with our kids. But I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, honestly, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard to have these reverse roles and it feels very unnatural at times. And it takes a lot of work for us to stay connected and stay in the flow. And yeah. we go through these periods <clears> where like, we're just like not vibing and we have mm-hmm. to like work to get back to it. And it's not easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you get, you get business part where you're like, you're productive, but you're in yeah. business partner mode. And yeah. then so the dynamic, the relationship has lost its polarity Yeah. or you can get into like relation or uh, like, like roommate mode, which is right. We're not as productive. We're not in our masculine, but we're yeah. both kind of in our feminine yeah. and we're still not finding polarity and spark. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah. I would imagine the agility between, you yeah. know, creating spark in the relationship dynamic is yeah. you know, a skill set both of you guys have. Totally. Yeah, it's tough. But I think that's where like some of this stuff might, you know, happen for the the like mom son complex is like how much of that mom is trying to live in her masculine mm-hmm. and not stay in the feminine and same with the son like becomes this weird totally thing, I, I think you know? you know I've had conversations and we, we can you know move this to another direction <laughs> but there that the, the mom might even project some level of masculine deficiency that she is is feeling mm-hmm. onto the sun such that the sun can actually create a masculine representative yeah, for yeah. her in life yeah because a lot of these fathers are quite passive yeah. removed yeah. and there's not that right. sort of like traditional male presence in her life that she might in fact project some of that need onto the son who's pseudo meeting it. Like I don't have a partner. So my son is my tiny boyfriend. Exactly. Yes. Like I'm trying to make him the husband that my husband's not. Yeah. 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 Or because you don't have a husband or if you don't, or a partner or whatever. Right. Which I think also goes back to like, again, like this feminist movement of like, let's put all these women on birth control for liberation and now we know, like, that makes them not as attractive to strong men. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so now are these women all picking these, like, weak beta boys, you know, and then they're having a son and they're like, let me create a husband that he's not. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's, no. Yeah, it's just, I think it's a whole, it's a whole thing that ties in, like, culture and mm-hmm. attachment parenting or any parenting styles and. I think it's a, a big picture. But bringing it back to the to the you know ethos of this conversation, mm-hmm. it's very complex to solve downstream issues. You yeah. know, we've got flooding downstream, right? But if we go all the way up and we're looking at birth, yeah, and we're looking at early childhood development and relationship yeah. to mom and dad, yeah. Jesus, how many not just problems are we going to prevent, but the effort to solve those problems gets very mm-hmm. challenging because yeah. we're like, what started this? Yeah. How do we yeah, get yeah. to the root cause yeah. when there's a million factors, both yeah. on the macro and the micro yeah. in each one of these cases. And man, I can't help but having just even the intention of, of focusing on this, this critical component to yeah. birth and, and kind of the flexible, mm-hmm. uh, you know, time around there as yeah. being where we should focus and, and probably save ourselves yeah. just God knows how much time and effort. For sure. And, you know, like you said, going back to birth, I think that if moms feel empowered by their birth, which so many don't, 
that's going to totally change the way they parent. Right? Like my first birth did not go as planned. Planned that home birth. It was super long. We ended up in the hospital. Like I, I had fentanyl in my epidural. Most mm-hmm. epidurals have fentanyl. People don't know that. And my daughter was really shaky. Mm-hmm. And I was super anxious. I fell into postpartum depression and didn't even realize it until I was out of it. Like it was this whole haze of this birth. It wasn't what I wanted. I felt super defeated by it, especially who I am. Like I'm in the birth world and like yeah, I'm yeah. this, you know, probably some sense of like a story that you're telling yourself. Like I failed. Yes. Like I felt like I failed at birth. And then, um, and then breastfeeding was really hard with her and, you know, I became this like super anxious parent that I didn't want to be. And even like my mother-in-law would come over and I'd be like, you can't hold the baby. Like nobody can hold a baby because you, you won't hold her right. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, like t- looking back, I'm like, that made no sense. But yeah. in the moment I was so disempowered that I, I felt like I needed to keep this like mm. tight attachment. Like nobody else knows how to do this. And then I was like, nah, then nobody was helping. Yeah. <laughs> it made no sense. And then with my son, it was this beautiful home birth. And I'll share a tiny story. So before I was pregnant with him, I had, I was driving my car by myself and I had the clearest voice talk to me and said, mm-hmm. I'm a baby boy. I'm coming soon. My name is Roland. Wow. I was like, I literally turned around. I was like, who's that in my car? <laughs> and then I have a friend who's a medium and she, I did not tell her about it. She unsolicited came to me and said, you're going to have a bump by January. Mm. And I was pregnant like December, Damn. like the next month. Um, and we didn't find out what we we're having. I don't do ultrasounds in pregnancy. So like we didn't know boy or girl and went into labor and, um, you know, it was a very straightforward labor, pushed him out over the toilet. My husband was like narrating it. He was like, the head's out, the head is out. And then one more push, he came out and he goes, balls, those are balls. <laughs> and I was like, that's Roland. That's him. I knew it was him the whole time, but it was like, you know, confirmation that he came out. So, and then we were back in bed and like did the breast crawl. We did a cord burn. So we didn't cut his cord. We burned it. So I think that's another like, um, you know, metaphor of like this connection with a baby, especially a boy. And very often we clamp and cut the cord really soon. That placenta is this beautiful organ that your body created out of nothing. Like it's Amazing. the only organ that you just make. Yeah. You just Incredible. make it yeah. and then you get rid of it. <laughs> so we, we left the cord attached for a long time. Baby gets a ton of their blood back from that placenta, which is a lot of their weight also, which goes into like breastfeeding and babies mm-hmm. this way. Um, so we did a cord burn instead of a cut. And there, some people say that babies feel the cut because it's like the sharp severing and that umbilical cord is so metaphorical and spiritual. And like, that is your connection. That's your life source to your mother. That is how you survive. And so we did this slow burn, which was like this slow, beautiful process of disconnection. It's warming and like beautiful. And so we did that since we were at home instead of a cut and like to me you know I don't know if that is related to these you know mother-son things but I don't know maybe it is Mm -hmm. like to me I feel like oh we had this beautiful connection and now it's this slow disconnection 
And and it just is this continuum, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, if nothing else, you know, it, I, it would be hard to, I guess, uh, conduct a study and, you yeah. know, really look at that under the microscope. Right. But if nothing else, it speaks to the intention mm-hmm. of yeah. you and your husband yeah. learning from the first experience right. and, like, what would we change if we mm-hmm. could, you know, how yeah. can we put intention into this yeah. to, as much as we can, create the experience, the empowering mm-hmm. experience that we want. And how can we create, you know, Chase and I are all about how can we create ceremony around this? Yeah, thing? yeah. And I think that just in the medicalization of hospital based birth, a lot of that ceremony is, lost. is completely lost. Yeah. I mean, we sit down to dinner and it's a ceremony. We're breathing yeah. together. We're <laughs> regulating our right. nervous systems together. Yeah. We have a candle lit yeah. and we really take time to anchor in before yeah. we just chow down. Right. You know, we're asking each other cool. like deep questions. Yeah. We're thinking, we're learning about each other. And, you know, this is just speaking to kind of highlighting what what you're talking about, which is like, how can we create more intention and ceremony in these beautiful, gigantic, massive, gigantic, massive life events Right. that sometimes get sloughed off as medical events when it's it's not necessarily a medical event. This is a life transformation. This is an alchemizing. This is an alchemaic alchemy event, you know, alchemical event. Thank you, my Gemini. Um, (laughs) Me too. Alchemical. Oh, that's why I love you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, how can we create more ceremony around this thing and just maybe think of it a little bit differently than just like, let's get to it and snip it here. Right. So it could be the, the, the imbibing of ceremony and intention Mm -hmm. into that. That's really impactful. Yes, for sure. And so for me, one of my, my ultimate favorite look on a woman is right after she's given birth. Mm. There's this like, it's like every emotion in her face. Mm-hmm. She's exhausted. She's elated. She's, she's so fucking scared, but so happy. And probably proud of herself. So proud of herself. And like, the, you know, her hair is usually disheveled and like, She's holding her baby for the first time. Her lips are swollen. Like, it's just this, this, like, amazing transformation. And, like, you look at a picture, you're like, like that, and you're like, she's different. Mm. She, the maiden is dead. Yeah. The mother is born. And it is, like, this beautiful, it's just my favorite look. And I wish everyone who attends birth would value that. Mm-hmm. Like if nothing else, like if anyone's listening and you're like an L and D nurse or an OB, like just put value in that. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that would change so many of our birth practices so much. Like how beautiful, like just respect that process. Mm-hmm. Just respect it. Yeah. And like look at it yeah. for how beautiful it is. Yeah. And like, let's try and make every mom feel a little more empowered. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit. For sure. yeah. yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. So we can't interview a lactation consultant without going deeper into breastfeeding. Our mm-hmm. listeners are, are mostly going to be of the mind. You know, they, they know that breastfeeding is superior yeah. to formula in yeah. every way, shape and form. Um, so we don't need any convincing there, but I have spoken to many friends who are just as crunchy as I am mm-hmm. and value breastfeeding. 
Yeah. Um, and they express how difficult it is, how yeah. hard it is. Uh, and, you know, have even given up. Yeah. Well, I don't even want to say given up because that's, that is demeaning. Yeah. They've moved to formula yeah. because they feel like it's the best option yeah. for what they and their baby needs. Uh, because based on how hard uh, breastfeeding yeah. was, quote unquote hard. Yeah. What are these big hurdles to breastfeeding? Mm-hmm. And for each of these hurdles, how do you support your clients through them? Great question. So, yeah, you know, as hard as birth is, I think breastfeeding can be even harder, especially because we are not super supported in, you know, this society. Um, so the, the continuum of birth to breastfeeding is, I think, where we get the majority of the hurdles. So, for example, um, I'll just run through a little bit of the list. Pitocin is going to dampen the baby's suck reflex. So if mom's given Pitocin in labor, which is that synthetic oxytocin, which gets labor going, um, is going to dampen baby's ability to suck at the breast. So now they're not going to pull as much milk. It's going to be harder for them. They're going to get exhausted. That can lead to them losing weight or mom's milk not coming in. So that can be a challenge there. An epidural is going to reduce baby's neurological behavior. So that breast crawl, that ability to physically get onto the breast and latch on Mm -hmm. is going to be diminished. Um, and like I said, a lot of people that don't know, there's usually fentanyl in an epidural. It does cross the placenta. We see it in baby's behavior. Lots of studies on that. Um, something as simple as an IV, an IV in labor is going to do a couple things. It's going to inflate baby. They're like a sponge absorbing all that fluid. In the first day or so, they pee a bunch of it out and then baby loses too much weight when actually that's normal. And so then they want to, um, you know, have baby supplemented with formula when it's not appropriate. Um, it's also going to inflate mom's breast. So now we've got, again, these like corn star boobs that are inflated, not only with milk, but also with IV fluid. Mm. It's a lot harder to latch onto that. If, it, if tissue is like super tight, it's mm-hmm. really hard to latch than if it's like soft and supple. Um, and then a C-section can delay milk coming in up to 10 days. So baby should just be getting drops of colostrum in those first few days. Um, if their milk doesn't come in, they're still getting that really beneficial colostrum, but it's going to take longer for them to gain weight. So we like to see, most babies lose weight when they're first born. We'd like to see them back up to their birth weight in the first two weeks. But if you have any one of those things on the list, it's going to potentially be harder to get there. There are some really good studies, long-term studies on epidurals and how that affects breastfeeding. And we know the first six weeks of breastfeeding is the hardest. And that's usually when moms give up because it's too challenging or it hurts or their milk didn't come in or, you know, whatever it may be. And this is for across the board, women who maybe give birth at home and in hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably more hospital because at home you're not going to have access to an epidural or or pitocin in labor. So, you know, most of this is from hospital births, which is another reason why home birth and midwifery care is literally Mm life-saving. So, you know, if we have all those hurdles, that's going to potentially affect mom's ability to breastfeed comfortably and easily. But those studies also say all of that resolves by six weeks, but the first six weeks is the hardest. And that's usually when moms quote quit or give up or Mm -hmm. go to formula because it's hard. And then on top of that, if they're not getting the support and they're not told that these things that they had in labor can affect breastfeeding. Now they're, they're set up to fail. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's so hard. And so that was part of, I think, my struggles with my first is I had docent, epidural, and IV fluids. 
So breastfeeding was really hard. And again, my daughter was super shaky. Like she was like coming off of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at like this time, child. at this point, when you had your daughter, were mm-hmm. you already a lactation consultant? I was not a lactation consultant, but I was, um, my practice was, you know, pediatric and pregnancy focused. So like this is what I did all day long. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was struggling at yeah. it too. Yeah. So it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I really started to, to see so many more breastfeeding babies and like issues in my practice. And then I had a family come in who were like, like all star patients, like loved them. They were so compliant like loved chiropractic. And, um, the mom was pregnant with her second and just like wanted a better birth. So she was getting adjusted. Of course the birth was better. And then she had her baby and breastfeeding was fine. Everything was doing great. And, um, and then five months went by and she and I kind of became friends and she called me and she said, I'm in so much pain breastfeeding. My nipples are bleeding. There is blood in my milk. I want to give up. And I was like, what happened? Like I missed something. Come in. Let me check. I looked inside her mouth, which I wasn't doing as much like in-depth cranial work and oral work at the time. Looked in her mouth. Baby had ties, which tongue tie, lip and tongue tie, which I didn't check because at first everything was fine. Mm. And so, you know, she went and got the ties revised and then continued to breastfeed just fine. But, and now her daughter is older and wants to be well, I mean, the tongue tie thing is so relevant because yeah. like every, I feel like I hear a new mom every week, like, Oh yeah. no, tongue tie. Or yeah. I don't know if it's overdiagnosed or if it's just, yeah, you know, more, if it's more rampant, if it's yeah. more common. I think it's now. both. I think it's both. And that, you know, that's like a whole discussion in itself too. And that affects how the tongue functions and, you know, the last thing I ever want to do is refer from someone for surgery if they don't need it, yeah. especially a baby. Yeah. But sometimes it really is needed. And mm-hmm. so that's what we work with is like really looking at it from a functional perspective. If things are functional, we all have that tissue. We all have that structure. If it's functional, it's not a tie. We leave it alone. Um, but if it's there and it's causing dysfunction, then mm-hmm. we move forward and we work with a really great local dentist who does a fabulous job. But if baby is having a mm-hmm. hard time latching, I think some people can go straight to like, oh, there must be it. a tie. Yeah. Okay, let's look at this. Maybe we'll get it released when, right. like, you know, tying back to our initial part of the conversation where you're talking about the palate. Right. And so right. getting into someone like yourself, yeah. you know, can maybe be benefit. Well, not maybe, definitely beneficial in the beginning right. where you can look at that and see what is actually exactly you know, maybe yes. uh, affecting is it, it. Is it neurological dysfunction because of the birth? Is it cranial distortion because we got some asymmetrical molding of the head when the baby came out? You know, there's so many more factors than mm-hmm. just that tissue. So that's the thing I think, um, you know, especially if there are any chiropractors listening, like start breastfeeding support groups in your office and bring other providers in because like in our office, we have all these different providers that look at it. We all have a slightly different lens and then we work together to, to decide, is this functional? Is this something that can resolve or not? And usually what I see is like if moms had that super highly medicated birth, it might not be the tie. It's that all that stuff has to resolve, you know, but then in that time, like is mom swaddling and trying to get baby on a sleep schedule and not feeding on demand and then baby's not getting enough weight? It's not a tie. It's it's these like whack ass cultural parenting practices that create more disconnection yeah. and yeah. can foster more weight loss for the baby. Well, the way the way that I'm starting to to see it and think about it from from what you've shared is like 
we are, you know, okay, having baby, baby is here, great, exciting, love it. Mm-hmm. We're trying to fit baby into a modern yeah. work day or modern waking and sleeping mm-hmm. schedule because we all run our lives by schedules and timing and yeah. this and that. And then, you know, the baby gets labeled as this or that, like, right. oh, not a really good baby good or baby. whatever. Yeah. When it's like, <laughs> actually, you're fitting a child, a baby, in, and all they have is instinct and reflex yes. to yes. communicate. And we're trying to fit them into this mold that is, that works for us. Right. But then I also see the perspective from women who are working mothers mm-hmm. and, totally. you know, want to, to yeah. train and get on a schedule. schedule. And, and so I see, yeah. I see both worlds. And yeah. if someone's listening and, and no matter which side of the, the argument, the conversation mm-hmm. you fall on, like, it really comes back to like, with intention. Yes looking into mm-hmm. both sides of everything. We're yeah. talking about sleep. We're talking about breastfeeding. We're talking about vaccines. Yeah. You don't know until you inform yourself, right. until you dig in yeah. and with intention, make informed decisions. Yes. Then you can truly say we did what was best for our family. Mm-hmm. And then you can just go to sleep at night and that, yeah. that that's what's best for you. And you're yeah. choosing it intentionally not necessarily just fitting into a mold of what everyone else around you is doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. There's so much pressure. I mean, I had someone in the other day who like, you know, she was out with a friend and her mom and her, and her husband were there and the talk of, topic of circumcision came up and she was like, yeah, we're not going to do it. Or I think she was changing baby's diaper and the person overlooked and was like, your baby's not circumcised. And she was like, yeah, we chose not to cut that skin off. I think it's, there for a reason, right. you know, and like the friend started berating her mm-hmm. on how she should circumcise. And then the mom got on board and was like, yeah, you really should. Yeah. And like just these pressures totally. that we yeah. get from other people on like how to do things. It's like, that, that, you know, yeah. that's, I that's believe, topic, I know, but it goes back into like, I believe babies are born perfect. We are designed perfectly. Like yeah. everything is is by design if we just get out of our own way and like get into your gut and your intuition and like follow the lead of you and your baby and what feels right like that's going to guide you yeah, yeah. You know, what an way. important energetic precedent to set for yeah. the child as well yeah that's what we spend half of our adult life trying to yeah. figure out is yeah. that actually we house the wisdom and it's yeah. a matter of uncovering it yeah and that's that's been freaking my 30s yeah. you know it's like <laughs> Yeah. Mostly yeah. that, and how about building yeah. that mechanism from a young age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Uh, this is so good, and obviously so good. we we could keep going, which I is just a, a a nugget that we need to have you back on at some point. But love it. I would love um, to. Just, I'm so grateful for you and your work and your heart yeah. that you pour into Thank your you. clients and your family, of course, and you know your work. It just exudes out of you, just uh, from every pore, and it's wonderful. But Thank you. I'm so grateful. This is so wonderful. And your guys' podcast is so beautiful. And you've had such amazing people on. I feel like so not worthy to be here. No. You're knocked it out of the park, my my girl. Um, So on that note, where can people find you, work Mm. with you if they're in the San Diego area? Um, And, and, you know, tell us about what you're offering. Great. Thank you. So, yeah, if anyone is in San Diego, my office is called Cafe of Life, um, Chiropractic Cafe of Life, because that's where people connect and it's about filling up on life. Um, so, uh, we're in Pacific beach, which is fun beach town. 
Um, we have a free breastfeeding support group every single Monday, which is just so fun. Um, and then social media is probably the best place. Um, Instagram, Dr. Steph lives. Uh, I also have a couple course offerings, which are, um, I really poured a lot of heart into as well. There's one called the course on breastfeeding. It's for moms. Um, it's kind of, it's really all the way from birth to weaning and like everything in between with parenting. There's a little bit of vaccine info in there. Um, there's stuff on sleep and like feeding baby solids and really how to navigate all those birth issues that come up. Like if there is any intervention in birth, how to navigate that and continue to breast, breastfeed successfully. So that is an online course that I have that um, I'm happy to even do like a discount for your listeners. Sure. Yeah. yeah, we can figure um, it out. We'll put it in the show notes, you guys. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite things. You can be anywhere around the world and take it. It's just an online course. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's my jam. Yeah, it. That's it. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here Thank and sharing you. your light. Thank it you. is um, so needed. And there's so many different avenues that people speak to for our, you know, our world to change. And I truly believe that it's going to come down to women and mothers. Yeah. Because that is the the most powerful, I think, force is a... Source. Right. Right. It is the mother. And when the mother does better for herself and her family intentionally, um, it just trickles out from there. It trickles out Mm -hmm. to the community, which trickles out to the the city and the state and the country and the... You know, so I am a, I am right right behind you and beside you. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm really, really glad that people like you exist as healthcare Thank practitioners. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful conversation. And thanks for everything. Guys. Thank you doing. so much. It's such an honor. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. If you heard something that struck a chord or maybe that ruffled your feathers and you want to have a conversation about it, send it to someone you love. Send it to a friend. Start conversations. Um, no matter which side of the conversation you fall on, uh, you know, it's important. And we need, to, we need to open up safe spaces to have these conversations so that people can do better and feel supported and it can ripple out and our world can change. Thank you so much for listening and watching. We'll talk to you next time. Go spread some light. Okay, bye. (laughs) Hey friend, thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, touched your soul, or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.